the best place to buy tires? Where's the best repair shop for my hybrid? Questions about your car? Drive into Dobbs. With more than 40 locations, our team of technicians will get the job done right the first time. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Cheap, cheap, fun, fun. Spring is in the air and Dirt Cheap is in your neighborhood ready to deliver the perfect drinks to your doorstep. That's right. All of Dirt Cheap's convenient locations now offer delivery of their wide selections of beers, wines, and all the spirits you need. And if you're like me, nothing hits better in the springtime than a nice weeded bourbon. Ask the friendly staff at Dirt Cheap about their selection of weeders like Maker's Mark, Larceny, and so many others. Download the Dirt Cheap app and order curbside or delivery. Have fun, but be careful out there. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. This is the Ribs and BK Podcast on 101 ESPN. you might see uh, the the market for Nolan Arenado sort of fall into their laps a bit. You know, Arenado's got the opt-out, but at this stage in the game, it doesn't look like he will. And so maybe Colorado's going to pay down some of that salary. And maybe this is an opportunity for, you know, we talk about uh, the teams that, that do well over the course of, you know, the past 10, 20 years. They, they're the teams that zig when everybody else is zagging. And uh, right now, what what teams aren't doing is taking on salary, taking on money. Oh boy, it's Arenado watch again. Not I think this again. is week 375 of Arenado watch here in St. Louis. <laughs> <laughs> With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. That was Craig Edwards on the show yesterday talking about, hey, maybe there's an opportunity here for the Cardinals to actually go after Nolan Arenado again. Now, he does have a lot of money left on his contract. It is six years. It's about $200 million remaining. That's it? Seems like a bit of an issue. However, if you were watching last night on television, and I'm sure you guys were all tuned in, as Major League Baseball announced their cold glove winners yesterday, Nolan Arenado was on with ESPN and they asked him about his future with the Rockies. Here's what he had to say. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I think this year will be interesting. Um, you know, um, you know, I'm hopeful that, you know, wherever it's uh, I want to play for a winner. And, you know, if that's in Colorado, that's great. And uh, at the end of that, it's what it's all about. I just want to win. So, didn't exactly sound super thrilled to be in Colorado. No, his voice wasn't just ringing an endorsement there. Nothing new here. We've known for a while. It seems pretty clear to everybody who has paid any any amount of uh, interest in this story. If you've paid attention at all, you know Nolan Arenado would like to play in St. Louis. Jamie, Ferrario, as we sit here today, if the Rockies are willing to eat some of that money on his contract... Do you think there's any chance, any chance whatsoever, if they take it down to $20, $25 million per year on the AAV, that the Cardinals would now be interested in trading for Nolan Arenado? I don't think so. I mean, I'm looking at it. it, Listen, two things here. One, me, Jamie Rivers, personally, I'd be all in on it. I'd be like, absolutely. But again, it's not my wallet that has got to cover the tab on this one. And 
for everything we've heard, and it's not just the Cardinals, right? So let's just be fair here. It's not just the Cardinals. Most teams are what claiming losses for sure, but also talking about not taking on additional payroll or expenses. Heck, they're getting rid of guys and opting out of players because they're trying to shed salary. So... Does it make sense from a baseball standpoint? 100%. Absolutely. But financially, to take on a contract, like like you said, the Colorado would have to eat a portion of it. But why would they eat a portion? Wouldn't the whole point be that they want to shed that? They're still shedding $25 million. So it's kind of like the Colt Wong thing, right? The Cardinals have to eat a million dollars, but they're willing to do that to save the 11 and a half that they're getting yeah. back in return. Now, it's obviously not one for one. Eleven and a half million dollars and eating one is not the same as eating 10 to save the 25. But it's the same premise. You're saving a, a large sum of cash and just eating this lump sum as well. I mean, you guys been listening to me at all for the last two years? He's still on the 95. This here. is Mr. 95 you're talking to all aboard the Nolan Arenado train. Thank you. Look, I think it makes the most sense right now. I don't know if they're going to. The vibes we've gotten from John Mozeliak are they're not going to spend any money. But let's be honest here. If you're not bringing back Wong, if you're not going to bring back Yachty and Wayno, you get all of that money to not only upgrade your defense by putting a gold glove at third base and shifting Tommy Edmond, who by all accounts is an above average defender. If you put him at second base, would imagine he's going to be very beneficial for you there. And you're upgrading the offense. I get the splits. I get, you know, Coors Field compared to Bush Stadium. But you're upgrading the offense. You're putting a legitimate two, three, or four batter in your lineup for what? $20 million for the next year that you're basically going to save from three players? It makes the most sense that if you're going to take the shot, take the shot now because you might get the steal like the Boston Red Sox did, or I should say the Dodgers did, in getting Mookie Betts for Alex Verdugo. Yeah, it's possible. Yeah, he was good, though. It's no, possible what they could be doing here is almost doing a one-for-one salary-wise with what it would have cost to bring back Yachty, Wayno, and Wong, as you just okay, mentioned there, so Ferrario. stop right there for a second because that's my next question. Is Colton Wong, let's just remove him from the equation. But now the Cardinals, if they don't bring back Yachty and Wayno, is this really the winning environment that Arnado wants? Because if with Yachty behind the plate, it's much more of a winning team or a big uh, more of an ability to win games than the experimental we're going to go with the young guys. You see what I'm saying? I don't think they're even if you add Nolan Arenado for next season. I don't think they're a championship contender yet. No, but With, they're, without pro- they're a playoff team. They're definitely a playoff, and that's team. what a guy like that wants. He wants to see something trending upward. And if you take Yadi away and Wayno, and I know you know Wayno's the second piece here because you got some great pitching, but he was a stud this past season that just went by. And Yadi, well, his defense and his leadership and everything else. So, are you saying then that you almost have to pick up another twenty million? in Yachty and Wayno to make this work the right way for a guy like Arenado? For next season? Yeah. Maybe. But for the future, because I think Arenado is looking at this not only for 21, but also for what the rest of that contract looks like. And he's scheduled to be on whatever the team is through 2026. So what does it look like for him for the next six seasons? I think you can make a pretty good case that St. Louis would be a really good situation after 2021. Because suddenly now you have Nolan Arenado and you have Paul Goldschmidt on your corners on the infield. Mm -hmm. That's a really good situation. Yvonne Herrera very well may be ready 
ready at that point to be your next catcher. Okay, now we're looking good. Dylan Carlson looking like a really good player out and left. If they add a couple complimentary pieces via free agency or trade or however they do it in the following offseason, because then they wouldn't be dealing in those Correa, Seager markets. You wouldn't be looking for a shortstop anymore because you've got DeYoung and you've got Arenado. You're good on the left side of your infield. Well, suddenly going into that next offseason, you're kind of looking in that upper mid-tier again for free agency, and that's when you could be talking about this team again as a legitimate championship contender. And let's be honest, Paul DeYoung and Tommy Evan are no schlubs in your batting order. I mean, they may not be elite hitters, but they're guys who are an upgrade offensively for you, and of course your defense in the outfield when you put a gold glove in Tyler O'Neill and Harrison oh, Bader. That's right, I had to slide that <laughs> well in there, boys. Played, by the way. And of course Dylan Carlson. I mean, look, Nolan Arenado comes to this team without Yadi Wayno and Colton Wong. I think they're more than just a playoff team. I'm not saying they're a World Series contender, but they are a legitimate team that can go deep into a playoff without run. Yadi and Wayno. I think so. Oh man, I, I think you add that bat. You have uncertainty behind the plate, which is arguably the most important position. You've got Andrew Kisner, maybe. Maybe. Maybe you got Wheaties back with Kisner. I don't know what you've got, but that stability that you've counted on for forever with Yachty and the, it's controlling the pitchers and the feel of the game and all that stuff that's so important and the defense to where guys don't even try to steal second anymore. You've, that's gone. You don't know until you take a shot with it, though. I know, but do you think if Arnado is doing that, the big move to come here, he wants to be, oh, you know, I'm going to roll the dice? Uh, yeah, but I think he's looking at this roster more than just those two players. I think he's looking at this roster of a if deep is, pitching staff. What's he staff, looking at? A deep pitching staff, a bullpen that has been elite in the last couple of seasons, and a lineup that if you add a legitimate bat like Nolan Arenado into, it becomes... Without question in my eyes, the better team in the NL Central and arguably one of the better teams in the National League. The top six looks okay if you add Nolan Arenado to it. Edmund, Carlson, Arenado as your top three. Goldie hitting fourth to Young fifth and Fowler sixth. If you have something like that, you feel pretty good about your top six. Now the bottom three becomes a little questionable. In this scenario, if there is a DH next year, who would be playing DH for the Cardinals? Ravioli, baby! I bet you it's Carp. It's Carp or, or Tyler O'Neill. Yeah. Car- right? Well, yeah, you got a gold glover. You got to use his bat. So <laughs> I would imagine it would be one of those guys. And then I don't know who would be your catcher. I guess Kisner, but you they don't seem to trust him. So probably who I probably Wheaties. Let's be honest. Wheaties is probably going to be back and he's going to be starting every day. And then Bader batting ninth and whatever. That's fine. I don't feel great about that seven and eight hole hitter, but there's a lot of teams around baseball, even contenders that don't feel great about their seven and eight hole hitters. Randy made a good point this morning too, talking about the catchers and kind of comparing it to what they did with Alan Craig and the outfielders to make sure that Oscar Tavares had playing time. They shipped him away. They made sure that he didn't have the guy. It might be the same way. with Yachty to where there's no argument now of, oh, well, Yachty's playing and we want Wheaties back there because he's a vet. It's you got Andrew Kisner, who's supposedly your top catching prospect with Yvonne Herrera, you got no other excuse now to go out there and make sure that he plays. The problem is they need to have two catchers on the big league roster, probably. And so there's going to be somebody as an alternative. Wheaties is dependable. What are you going to do? He was hopping on one foot. He was was still playing. Let me let me clarify. His performance last year was really poor on the baseball field. Ran how Ravello was terrible. Can you play catcher? 
<laughs> he could probably try. Play as well catcher? as he did anything Milzy else. Milzy can do anything he wants he to. Wait, wait, where's the, the dog father? Oh, there it He's is. He's first base. He's got to be able to catch. Wrapping this up here. <laughs> do you guys think realistically there is any actual chance of this situation falling back into the Cardinals lap and them going out there and making this move for Nolan Arenado? I'm going to say no. Unfortunately, I wish my answer was different, but I'm going to say that it is not going to happen. I'd be happier than a dog with two dinghies, if you're asking me. 95%, I'm sticking with it. I think realistically, yeah, there's a shot with this. I think there's no shot whatsoever. Cool, I wish thanks. there was. I wish I wish my answer were different. I would love them to go make this move. I think it makes a ton of sense, especially if right now, when I was reading earlier today from Jeff Passan, and he said, and I quote, the Rockies find themselves in a position of their own making with Arenado. He's coming off the roughest offensive season of his career, and while 2021 should afford players opportunity to show, show the pandemic, baseball may, may not represent a great sample for players. No team is going to give up anything of substance for Arenado at this juncture. Over the next six years, he is owed $199 million. That's a heck of a lot of money for a player coming off of what was not a great year. For someone who isn't, it's unlikely to get a whole lot of interest. This is a, quote, non-starter, according to Jeff Passan. I think it's going to be a non-starter for the Cardinals as well. This is a situation that I would love them to take advantage of. It just seems very, very, very unlikely. It's 11-13. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. We'll talk with Mike Petriello about what this free agent market could look like for the Cardinals, who he thinks could be a good fit for them coming up at 11-30. But coming up next, Jamie, there is a player on the Blues ready to take on a new role. And the general manager is super excited to see him do it. We'll tell you who that is coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. You're our number one guy. You're our friend without getting too much pressure on him, but you're going to be our franchise player here. We got Tori Krug and you. You're going to be our top two guys here. You know, and, and then from there, will that extra ice time, will the confidence come for Colton Pareko? Because, like I mentioned, guys, the only thing that he lacks right now is probably a little bit of confidence. He was always kind of uh, able to push, but no, he got it. Now he's going to be the guy. So will he take that on? Will he take ownership of that role with confidence, with swagger, and go out and own it? Because he is certainly capable of doing that that was joey vitale on with us a few weeks ago jamie talking about colton pareko having the potential to be a legitimate number one defenseman and now with petrangelo going out to vegas pareko is absolutely going to be that here like it or not pareko is now the new number one defenseman for your st louis blues and doug armstrong talked about that with jeremy rutherford we're going to talk to jr about his article coming up at 12 15 today but doug armstrong had some really strong quotes in this article about pareko's ability and why he believes in pareko taking over that role as the number one defenseman here's the where i want to start with this Army told JR, quote, I've talked to Colton and in my view, it's his team on the back end right now. He's the alpha male. He's been here the longest. He's got the game to be the alpha male and he wants the challenge, end quote. Again, that was Doug Armstrong to Jeremy Rutherford. Find the full piece over on The Athletic. Jamie Ferrario, I wanted to talk with you guys a little bit about this because now that Pareko is indeed in that role and you've seen some of these quotes from Army, you've seen the quotes from Pareko that we can get into here in a minute. What was your reaction to Army essentially saying, hey, this guy is the alpha male on the back end now. It's his back end. It's his blue line. 
Well, it's a very it's a great strategic move. And what I mean by strategic is he's, there's no guessing in this, right? So if Colton Pareko was sitting back at home wondering, man, am I going to be the guy or am I going to get the opportunity? Well, that, that gray area is gone because Doug Armstrong, the, the king of the team of hockey operations, just told you, you are the guy. You're our number one guy. You're the alpha back there on the blue line. So get ready to go. And I like it. I do. I like Doug Armstrong laying it out there like that. Yeah, it's stressful for the player because, you know, it's a lot on your plate. You always feel like you're trying to live up to the guy who was before you. And if I have any advice for Colton Pareko, it's don't do that. Don't try to be Alex Petrangelo. Don't try to be Chris Pronger. Don't try to be Al McKinnis. Be Colton Pareko because guess what? It's worked out pretty darn good so far for you. You're 6'5". You skate as fast as anybody in the league. You close out guys incredibly on the defensive side. Your reach is fantastic, and your shot is an absolute cannon. There you go. That's your starting point. Where Colton Pareko can evolve his game and he can look at players around the NHL or past St. Louis Blues players to pull from, first pass out of the zone. It has to be money. It has to be flat. It has to be tape to tape, and it's got to be a one-pass play. You can't make a play where that thing turns back and is back in your own end. you got to be a first-pass defenseman with excellent exits for your forwards. It's interesting because I kind of feel like he's been the 1B to Alex Petrangelo's 1A the last couple of years. People look at him as an up-and-coming elite defenseman, but Jeremy highlighted it in his article. I mean, if you look at the ice time, Colton Pareko has been the guy in terms of defensive zone faceoffs, in terms of coming over the board in every scenario. Not so much power play time, at least the last couple of years, but he's starting to get into that area. But penalty kill, five on five, late in games when you're up or down, Pareko's been coming over the board almost every single time. And I know for a fact that Larry Robinson, Doug Armstrong, Al McKennis, they have been high on Colton Pareko since he came into the league as a guy who can be the number one defenseman. And I was telling BK in the office, Rivs, the article that really stuck out to me or the piece in it was Al McKennis's statement basically saying that Colton Pareko needs to have the mindset of I'm like I, he used to have. I'm going to take the shot. You either get in the way of it and you're going to get hurt or you get out of the way. If he does that, if he can rein in his offensive game, I think that's what takes Colton Pareko from a defenseman that people aren't talking a lot about to a guy who's top five in the National Hockey League. You highlight something there, Alex, that that I really want to dive into. And Colton Pareko's offensive instincts, his natural instincts, are not that of an Alex Petrangelo or a Tori Krug or a Roman Yossi. They're not there yet. And you know what? They might never be. It, it, it is what it is. But what he does have that they don't have is that bomb from the point. And yes, Al McInnes used to just dare guys to block it. And if it hits you in the gut, the ribs, the side of the head, it didn't matter. Guess what? You weren't getting in the way the next time. And Colton Pareko has that ability. Now, if I'm Mike Van Ryan, Craig Berube, Larry Robinson, whoever gets in his ear, I'm telling him, when the puck comes to you, I want you to shoot it. I don't want the gears to seize up in there between the ears and you're looking for a bigger, better play because you are the bigger, better play. When the puck comes to you, you need to shoot it. 
And I think that will simplify the offense for Colton Pareko, which, by the way, if he starts shooting that bomb, things will happen and other plays will evolve right in front of his own eyes. And then he can take the next step as far as distributing the puck. But establish that shot and be confident in what you're doing. Another thing, too, you're right. On the defensive zone, he is out there for a lot of faceoffs. Not just because he's good defensively. He skates his way out of trouble anytime he wants. If he gets the puck, he can go and pull away from almost any guy in the NHL. I just want to see him be more assertive. In all aspects of the game, right? I mean, you're hearing this from Doug Armstrong, and he's saying, with no uncertain terms, this is our guy. We believe in Colton Pareko, and it's part of why they felt confident, or at least believed that they were going to be okay, in moving on for Alex Petrangelo. You can agree, disagree, be indifferent on that. That was the team's view, is we're going to be okay because we still have Pareko, they have Justin Falk, who they believe in, and now they bring in Tori Krug, so they feel like they're okay on the back end. Pareko's a big part of that. Now I want to see him take that next step in his development. This is the time for him to become an assertive player with that shot, for him to become an ass- a more assertive player in that locker room. I'm not asking him to be Petrangelo. You don't have to be the captain that Petro was. But use your voice a little bit. If you've got this kind of backing from the front office, from the coaching staff, you are a player that is now going to become at least more of a leader on the back end Well, use that. Use that to your advantage. Let's hear you speak out. I don't want you to be somebody that you're not. But whatever you have inside of you, whatever that voice is that you have inside of you, let's get 100% of that now. Don't feel like you need to be in the background with Petro being the clear-cut number one. Now you're that guy. Let's go see that happen on the ice and off of the ice. for the It's week. interesting, Rivs, and, and I'm curious your thoughts because if I'm not mistaken, this would be Pareko's sixth year in the league this upcoming season. Alex Petrangelo, if I'm not mistaken, it was around that sixth or seventh season that they got rid of Kevin Shattenkirk, traded him to Washington, and basically told Petro, you are the guy. They acquired Jay Bomeister to kind of be his Robin to the Batman of Alex Petrangelo. When they got rid of Shatty, there was no other excuses for Petro. It was, you are the guy. Guy, the captain, you're the number one defenseman. I'm interested if that's what this is with Colton Pareko now, because getting rid of Alex Petrangelo, and I say getting rid of, I'm not trying to be negative with that, but you move on from Petro, you bring in a Tory crew who's an offensive upgrade, but it it's still Pareko, you're the Batman now. This is all you on this team. Yeah, it's certainly it's at that point. I call it the tipping point of a, of a young man's career, specifically a defenseman. You get to that 26, 27, 28, that age, you have to show that you can still trend upward. Okay, you can't plateau or start to trend downward. That is obviously not a positive thing. And I think Colton Pareko, based on what we've seen and based on what we think could happen, he should trend upward. And to your point, BK, he doesn't have to be a big bellowing voice in the locker room. What he has to be, though, is a lead-by-example guy. First on the ice, last off, first in the gym. And then when other guys aren't doing that, when other guys aren't as committed as he is, he's got to call them on it. He's got to voice his opinion, and he's got to support the leadership group. I think Colton Pareko is a captain. I don't think he's the captain. Uh, when this contract expires for him, maybe into his next one, if the Blues re-up him, then maybe that's the time you hand the C to a guy like this. But I think there's a lot for Colton Pareko to to build off of, a lot to learn from a guy like Ryan O'Reilly and a Braden Shen and other guys in the locker room. But yes, this is his time. And the biggest mistake he can make is trying to be someone he's not. So just continue doing what you do, but every day push the envelope to become just that much better because that's what all the great guys do. Every day they get better. There's a lot of different ways to lead. 
You can lead by example. You can lead by being more of a vocal guy. There, there's a million different ways to do it. And the Blues had a really good guy at doing it in a, in a number of different ways, frankly, in Alex Petrangelo. Now you're going to have a little bit of a different leadership. Uh, Ryan O'Reilly is a massive lead by example guy. You can't get much better than him in terms of the leading by example. Braden Shin is a little bit more vocal in terms of his leadership role. Pareko is probably even less so than both of them in terms of the vocal leadership. That's fine. But now you have to take on an even bigger piece of the leading by example. And so I'm just I find it really interesting that they are they are officially hanging their hat on Colton Pareko. And I do wonder we'll get into this a little bit with Jr. when he joins us coming up at 1215. Jamie, I do wonder what that's going to mean for the C. If they are this all in with him, do they give even more consideration to putting the C on on Pareko now as opposed to later? I think the answer is still no on that, but hearing some of these quotes from Army at least gives me a little more pause on that than I uh, I initially would have had. We'll get to that coming up at 1215 with Jeremy Rutherford. Coming up next, Mike Petriello is an MLB baseball analyst for MLB Network and MLB.com. Who does he think the Cardinals could add potentially on the cheap that would legitimately improve this offense going into next year? We'll ask Mike Petriello of MLB.com when he joins us next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101. ESPN. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. We are happy to be joined by MLB Network and MLB.com baseball analyst. He is Mike Petriello joining us here on the show. Mike, always appreciate the time, man. How you doing today? Hey, guys. How are you? Glad to be here. Uh, doing very well. Glad to have you. So let's start out with this market, and I almost hesitate to even call it that at this point. How long do you should we expect it to be before we see any real movement in your mind? I think a couple of weeks, and I know what you're alluding to is the fact that this market is expected to be pretty cold, and I think that's definitely right. But I don't think uh, we've really ever seen like the NBA style market where at the stroke of midnight you start seeing guys sign. You know, that's never really been the way baseball works. Traditionally, you know, November is a little bit about circling the wagons, and then it starts to heat up right before you know where the winter meetings used to be. I think obviously that's going to be a big change. But considering everything that's happening, you know, not not even limited to baseball. I mean, look. What the uh, main story of the day is today? I'd be surprised if there's any real moves for at least like three or four weeks. Now, Mike, uh, look at looking at the free agent market the way it is, and everybody talking about we're going to stop and wait and evaluate and try to calculate our finances and see what you know becomes available. Yesterday, we had a good discussion here about you know what team could be that one team that salmon that's swimming upstream and goes the opposite and tries to scoop up players that. Uh, Maybe you're out there for a cheaper price. Well, I hate to pick the chalk because it's kind of boring, but you know the answer that everybody would give to that question is the Mets, pretty obviously, because they finally got some incoming ownership who who are willing to spend. But if I'm going to go somewhere else, uh, let me give you a different team. I would actually be interested in saying the Dodgers here, and the reason for that is uh, the Dodgers are always pretty opportunistic, and they don't really have a ton of money on the books. Obviously, yes, they just signed Mookie Betts for sure, but if you look at the rest of their roster, um, most of these guys are not under long-term contracts, even. Kershaw at the moment is not signed long term. You know, you've got arbitration eligible guys like impending free agents like Bellinger, Seeger, Max Muncie, and that is definitely a team where even though they they are traditionally known for having a big payroll, like they've got 
some flexibility. And if they see an opportunity to add more depth to improve the team, even though they just won, I could definitely see them doing it. So you're telling me, Mike, that one of the best baseball teams that I've ever seen is now going to go out into a market that is probably going to have a market inefficiency of adding good players, which can't believe I just said that, but here we are in 2020. They're going to see that market inefficiency. They're going to take to it. And now they're going to potentially get even better going into next year. Yeah, isn't that wild? Isn't, isn't that funny how it works? You have you have the best people running your team, and you have a well-funded ownership group, and you have a market that is built explicitly for helping that, and uh, I think they're going to be really good next year. I know that's a hot take. Uh, so that makes a lot of sense. Uh, we were talking earlier today because we're watching, of course, as everybody was last night, and I'm sure that you were glued to this as well, Mike. The Gold Glove uh, Awards <laughs> were announced last night, and Nolan Arenado was on the show, and they asked him about his future out in Colorado and as you probably know he is quite the character here in St. Louis we love talking about Nolan Arenado and when or if he could be traded for here in St. Louis do you think that there is a team specifically here in St. Louis that could look at his deal and say you know what if the Rockies are willing to eat some of that maybe this is actually the perfect time to strike and go make a trade for him because now maybe we don't have to give up the prospect haul that we otherwise would in a typical offseason Yes, like like everybody else, I was absolutely watching the Gold Gloves last night and nothing else at all. <laughs> um, I do I do understand why the Cardinals and the Cardinals fan base, more specifically, would have an interest in Nolan Arenado. Like, how could you not? Right? He's an elite defensive third baseman, and he's one of those guys where even though he didn't have a good hitting season this year, there are players where that would concern me, but but not for him because of his track record because he's so young. Like, I I wouldn't even worry for a second about the fact he didn't hit that well. So. To answer your question, yes, he's a phenomenal fit. He's obviously got a lot of issues with the Rockies. My concern here is not so much about the St. Louis end of this, but the Colorado end of it, because it's just so complicated that I'm not sure how they, they make this work, because not only does he have this big, long deal that's, uh, you know, he signed it for eight years and $260 million last year, so a team has to be willing to handle that, but he's got a no-trade clause that he would have to agree to waive, and he's got an opt-out. And, you know, it's hard to get guys to guarantee to not exercise that opt-out. So now if you're the Cardinals, what are you trading for? Are you trading for seven years, and are you giving up a prospect package for that? Or are you expecting him only to be around for a year or two? And then if you're the Rockies, they're not going to give him away just for the the thrill of not paying the contract. Like, that's what the Marlins did with John Carlos Stan, right? They didn't get much talent out of it. The Rockies aren't going to do that. They're not going to want to pay for it. They're not going to eat it. And they're going to want talent back, you know? So, like, all of those things in combination, it makes it hard for me to see him getting moved uh, to anybody, not just St. Louis. Now, Mike, to, to talk a little bit here more locally about some free agents and the market just being kind of crazy uh, the where it is right now, obviously, Wayno and Yachty are, are at the top of everyone's list here in St. Louis. Fan favorites, uh, Wayne will be a St. Louis Cardinals Hall of Famer. Yachty could potentially, and in my opinion, be a Hall of Famer uh, at the end of his career what does the market look like for those two players and at the end of the day would it maybe be in their best interest to circle back and stay in st louis the, uh, their market i think is a one-year deal a piece maybe like one and an option right i know molina's talked about wanting to but he's going to be 38 years old next year wainwright is going to be 39 years old next year those guys at that kind of age they just don't get multiple year deals now certainly um wainwright has been really impressive the way he's been able to continue being a successful pitcher you know throwing endless curveballs 
And, you know, even though Molina's bat isn't quite what it once was, he certainly got that reputation behind the plate. So it's not like we're talking about guys who are going to have trouble finding jobs. Like, they will certainly be able to find roster spots. But there's not going to be teams out there saying, oh, yeah, three-year deals, please come here. And so that's not going to that's not going to be the differentiator for them, I don't think, is money necessarily. It's going to be where do they want to play? You know, does Wainwright want to go back home to Georgia? Does Yachty uh, want to be a lifelong St. Louis Cardinal? I, I don't know the answers to those, but I, I would be surprised if either one of them is out there getting two-year, three-year, four-year deals. We're talking to Mike Petriello, MLB Network and MLB.com baseball analyst. Give him a follow on Twitter as well, at Mike underscore. Petriello. So, Mike, we talked with Bill DeWitt III, the Cardinals team president, last week, late last week, and we talked to him specifically about the Cardinals payroll. And he basically said, hey, if you tell me how many fans we can have in the stands next year, I can tell you what our plan is for the offseason. The problem, of course, is we're probably not going to know that until late, late in the offseason. So it's hard to be able to say exactly what the payroll is going to be. So if we assume that they're not going to spend a whole lot this offseason, who are some players that in your mind, going through some of the statistical analysis, you think could be bargains out there that can improve this Cardinals lineup that we've been trying to improve now for the last three, four, five years? Yeah, it's really interesting. And just real quick, I, I agree with him to some extent, too, because when you think about signing a free agent, why do you do it? You know, you sign him to win games, certainly, but also because big ticket free agents sell tickets and that might not be a, a, a benefit from that this year. So I understand that part of it. I, I think the question you asked is somewhat hard to answer just because we have this list of free agents that are out there right now. You know, the guys who had their, their contracts expired or their options declined. But I don't even think this is the beginning of it. I, I think what's going to actually happen is in a couple weeks before arbitration decisions are due, you're going to see guys getting non-tendered. And what that basically means is that they don't want to pay them what they're likely to get in arbitration. You know, So I, I think we don't even know all the names who are out there yet. So there's that. Uh, and then the other part of it is, if you look at the Cardinals, they do have some flexibility in, in positions, right? Like, is Tommy Edmond going to play second base or third base, or are you going to play Matt Carpenter again every day? We don't know, by the way, if there's going to be a DH next year. That's a huge part of it that we don't know. So it, a lot of it is just trying to figure out who you already have and who you are willing to replace. Like, are you committing to Dexter Fowler playing every single day or, or not? And I think then from there, once you do that, once you get your budget, and once you even know the rules, if you're going to have a DH or not, then you can go out there and find players. It's so complicated. I can't believe we are into the offseason. And I know you're absolutely right, Mike. Even in a typical offseason, there's not a whole lot of activity that would be taking place right now. But the fact that we're actually into the offseason and these teams in the National League have no idea whether or not they're going to have a DH or not going into the season is just wild to me. I can't believe that this is where we're at with baseball right now. Yeah, I agree with you. And it's not just for the teams because it's like maybe, you know, it changes your plan. But if not, you can fill in at DH. It certainly changes life a lot for someone like, you know, Nelson Cruz or, or Marcelo Zuna. You know, I don't consider either of those guys everyday outfielders. Cruz is never going to play the outfield again. You know, Zuna could spot and left a little bit. How do you go out if you're those guys and try to come up with a plan for the winner, not knowing if you can talk to 15 teams or if you can talk to 30 teams? You know, and there's not really, as far as I'm aware, like a set ETA for this happening. And that is such a big difference for these teams. I don't I don't know how we're going to navigate that. Mike, do you think the owners are kind of strategically doing some of this? And let me just kind of tell you what I'm thinking is the CBA, although it's a season away, it seems like this is going to be, well, it's going to be a bit of a rodeo when that comes up. And I'm just wondering if the owners are purposely not declaring the DH yet in order to kind of drive the market downward to keep some of these guys unsigned and unsure and maybe taking lower deals. 
You know, I don't think it's that, but I do think that there is a strategic aspect to it. I, I'm not sure that the deal that like Nelson Cruz would take is going to make a big difference either way, whether he has you know two leagues to talk to or one. But what I think the strategic aspect of it is is that it's something that the union seems to want. You know, they want these jobs. They are generally higher paying jobs, and so if it's something that the union wants, then that's something that the owners probably feel like they can use as a bargaining chip. So they're not going to just give it away for nothing. And then we're back into negotiating. And if you remember June and July and all of that. that try not to, Mike. <laughs> right. Exactly. So I think you're right about it being strategic. But I think it's more about what can we get and a bargaining chip rather than specifically about the, these DHs being paid. Final question for you, Mike. If we're kind of sticking with this DH theme, Cardinals don't really have an obvious answer for DH on their current roster. If they do get news, let's say in the coming weeks, that the National National League is going to officially adopt the universal DH moving forward. Is there a guy out there on the market that that you think would make some sense for the Cardinals? Well, I think everybody would want Nelson Cruz, you know, if it comes down to that, because that guy absolutely pounds the ball and he's never really been considered um, as a as a DH guy. I'm going to assume a reunion with Marcelo Zuna is probably not in the cards, but let me give you Seems another unlikely. name after that. <laughs> yeah, um, I really like Jock Peterson. He's not a great outfielder. He's better than Ozuna, um, and he can't hit lefties. But, man, that guy can crush right-handed pitching, and that's about three-quarters of the pitching out there. So he would be a guy I'd be interested uh, to sign as, as some badly needed power. And he can he can manage in the outfield. He's not going to kill you, but he's certainly not someone I would look at as a plus glove. He's Mike Petriello, MLB Network and MLB.com baseball analyst. Give him a follow on Twitter at Mike underscore Petriello. Mike, we always appreciate the time, man. Thanks so much for hopping on with us. All the best to you and your family. Thanks, guys. Take care. Absolutely. That is Mike Petriello on 101 ESPN. Does it feel to you guys like it is inevitable, inevitable at this point, that Jock Peterson's going to be a future Cardinal? I feel like his name comes up every time. And Nelson Cruz, too. And I don't know. Nelson Cruz would be awesome. I'm in. I'm in but on Nelson Cruz. like 52? It's fine. It's fine. He's still hitting bombs out here. There's plenty of 52-year-olds that are fine in Major League. Look at Bartolo Colon. Yeah. <laughs> True enough. But here's my thing with Nelson Cruz is, to our point and talking to Mike Petriello in our discussions, the DH hasn't been declared yet. I don't think I'm putting Nelson Cruz out on the field. No, they would have to know that they're having the DH. <laughs> That'd be like putting Bartolo Colon in pinch run. <laughs> like, I'm okay with that. I've seen him steal bases. <laughs> he could absolutely pinch hit. We've seen him in pinch plenty hit, of home runs. Not pinch run. I, uh, um, I actually don't think Jock Peterson. I, th- I know people are connecting his name, but I don't see it. Now that Tyler O'Neill won a, a gold glove. Oh, come on. No, look, oh, I'm my not, God. I'm so not, did Marcelo Zuna. Hey, we saw look, how that worked out. Listen to me for a minute. I'm not pumping his tires. I'm going from Apparently the Cardinals. Alex is agent. I'm, not go- I'm going from the Cardinals mindset. He's a gold glove now. You're not going to put somebody else in the outfield over Tyler O'Neill. He's at least going to be playing defense for you. I think he'll get some opportunities out there still. I think they're going to go back to Lane Thomas next year, too. I really do. After hearing what John Mozalock said about him with the COVID situation and how oh, he, he was totally one guy that was the, really affected by totally it. Totally gave him the safety net. There was an out. There was an out there for them to be able to go into next year and say, you know what? Our five-man outfield's going to be Fowler. Uh, it's basically the same as this year. Bader, Carlson, and then we're going to have O'Neal and Thomas as two guys that can DH for us or play in the outfield if needed. I think they're absolutely going to do that. So I'm with you on Can't that. Can't say I blame them. Jamie, on the Nelson Cruz side of things, you know who led the team, the, the Cardinals this year with home runs and how many they hit? Uh, Millsy had seven, and so did Tyler O'Neill. Seven, right? Correct. Do you know how many homers Nelson Cruz hit last year? I think it was, what, 12? 16. Oh! He doubled. He basically equaled, or exceeded, in fact, Brad Miller and Tyler O'Neill combined, combined from last year. 
This dude can hit bombs. He hit 16 last year, 41 in 2019, 37 in 2018, 39 in 2017. He's doing this at the ages of 36 to 39. So, yeah, he's 55 years old. That's perfectly fine. The dude hits bombs, and he can absolutely improve your lineup. If they have a DH next year and he's a one-year $10 to $12 million contract. 10 to 12? It's possible, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I think he just came off I would of like, like seven or eight. No, God, not with sixteen home runs. With this market, though. You want a little? Tin- I throw him seven or eight. Say, hey, Cruzy, come on, buddy. You want a little quick tin foil Ferrario? No. Didn't Nelson Cruz <laughs> wish David Freeze a happy birthday? Ooh, that's probably mm. what's going to bring him here to St. Louis with Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line. Questions and answers is next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on one hundred and one. ESPN. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. From the 314. Guys, I was listening to the Fast Lane yesterday and they were doing their Fast Lane Decision 2020. They tweeted out a poll if you could only keep one Cardinal for 2021, who would it be? I was surprised to see that almost three quarters of the of the vote went Yadier Molina over Adam Wainwright. Does that surprise you guys at all? No, not at all. We talked about it yesterday quite a bit, and I love Adam Wainwright. In a perfect world, you get to keep them both. They both retire Cardinals, but if you got to pick one or the other, as important as Adam Wainwright is to that young pitching staff, I think Yadier Molina is more important. I think that his voice and his knowledge from being behind the plate and the leadership that he brings is more important at this point right now for the St. Louis Cardinals. So for me, yeah, be Yadi. Yachty for me too. I mean, especially when you look at like Rivs just said with the effect of the young players, but especially that pitching staff in the bullpen. I mean, you got a lot of uncertainty right now and the starting pitching staff and people coming back and you might be throwing a Johan Oviedo into the starting lineup in your rotation, a Carlos Martinez. I think you want a guy who is that calming presence on all of those guys that has more of an effect than a pitcher every fifth day which don't get me wrong we all love Wayne I just think Yachty's more important 65780 is the air comfort service text line I agree with both of you guys I'm not really stunned by it I am a little surprised that it is that significant in Yachty's favor I figured that it would probably be around 60 40 but I'm looking at these poll results now it's 78% for Yadier Molina, 22% for Adam Wainwright. That's a little more one-sided than I would have expected. I mean, that's pretty drastic towards Yadi. I would have thought it would have been a little closer, but yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised that Yadi is the one that more people are leaning toward there. Uh, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Guys, I was watching TV last night, and I couldn't uh, I couldn't help but be impressed by John King and what he does on the magic oh, board. Were you guys as impressed as I was? I don't even think that I know half of the counties, and he was talking about all of them as if he knew everything about them. It was really, you know, I was flip-flopping all over the channels sure. because I'm trying to get an even perspective on what's going on. And when I did come around to CNN and John King was over at the magic board there, this guy was a wizard. I mean, he's zooming in, zooming out. It's 2016, it's 2020. I didn't know where I was at one point. All of a sudden I thought Hillary Clinton was back in the race and then now he's back over to like Broward County down in Florida and then he's like zooming in even further, like the county within the county and they usually, there's seven people there that lean to Republican. There's eight people over here that lean Democrat. I'm like, earlier today 
today I talked to a yeah. bolster down in whatever, Osceola, Florida. And it's like, what? This guy's like Pierre Maguire. He knows everything about every little detail <laughs> yeah. of these little towns. And I don't know how much prep time he has for it because he's on the air every day. All these people, all the networks, they're on TV pretty much every day. So the fact that he was able to, you know, provide all this insight, which was confusing more so than anything else, but at the same time was really impressive. It's wild. I don't know how they do it because like I, I watch, we watch a lot of sports, right? And so you'll see like Dan Orlovsky does these great breakdown breakdowns with NFL film on get up and you'll see him on ESPN and he'll get up there with the telestrator and he'll show you the route that the receiver ran and the coverage that the defense was playing and why this play worked. He's got like institutional knowledge of football because he played the game for 15 years at the highest of levels. Mm-hmm. Dan or- Orlovsky did. You look at these guys that are working on these boards. I mean, I guess maybe they have institutional knowledge because they've just studied it forever. But I can't imagine having the information and retaining the information in my head of, OK, here's every county in the country, why they matter and what the demographics are within that ca- county and where they were four years ago. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. Like, and the text line, of course, you know, who even watches CNN? I just told you guys that I flipped it all over the place. Heck, I even had local news on it. At one point, yeah, that was the t- the text came in saying John King. You you can replace it by whoever the guy was that you were watching last night. I Which, mean, it, by the way, I didn't even know that was his name, John King. I just know that he that was like for him and the people in that role last night on every network. It was their Super Bowl last night. It's quite the <laughs> dynamic watching John King too, because he clearly does not like Wolf Blitzer. And oh so they'll yeah, go back and forth a little bit, and he would is, like interrupt him, and he'd like get a little bit a little tweaked. I'm gonna take out his. He also previously was married to Dana Bash, who is one of the anchors on CNN. So it's it's oh an interesting God. dynamic there with what he's doing. And that's that's not a statement on politics at all. It's just the, the actual that's a Jerry in the room Springer show. I actually enjoy that more. They it's should wild. get all of them on like Maury or something. Six, five, seven, eight, oh, is the air comfort <laughs> service tax line. All right, Jamie. So you haven't heard this, Uh-oh. but I was talking to Ferrario before the show today. Yeah, I love talking. What, like, what's going on? I leave the room. You guys talk. Yeah, we do that a lot when you're Be not careful around. when you leave the room. If they'll talk about people with you, they'll talk about you when you're gone. So I was talking to Ferrario before the show today, mm-hmm. and he said, BK, you've got to hear this. Oh, God. I said, save it. Let's do it during the show. He told me that he was recording something with you, and it was an all-time moment. I don't know what this is. I have not heard it yet. But apparently it is something that both I and the listeners need to hear from you messing up recording something. Ferrario, let's get this. Mm. Oh, sorry, no, guys. not round Come one, on. but that is good. That's Come classic. on, sorry, guys. Muscular cell. What the? F- <laughs> what? <laughs> Muscular cell. What the? F- <laughs> what happened? <laughs> Did you pull a Ferrario? Uh, no, we were doing. <laughs> Wonderful people over at SSM Healthcare were uh, having me just do a, a live spot or a read for, you know, a, an ad that they hopefully wanted to do with 101 ESPN. And I was ripping through it and you try to add a little bit of personal flair to it. And every now and then there's a word that like jumps out and your eyes are drawn to it. You know this stuff. And musculoskeletal was the word. <laughs> and I was again. like ripping through it and I'm looking at a muscular. I'm like, what the Gets you every time. You know, this is the only time that I've heard you mess up doing a live read, Riffs. And the player make miss one where topical pregame super boost ingoos. Okay, Ferrario. I don't know what you're oh, talking okay, about. Oh, okay, Ferrario. You want to talk about messing up during a live spot? I don't know what you're talking about. 
Oh, wait, it might not be working. Oh, good. Not Here it is right yet. now. It's not working Convenient. on this one. Interesting. And, or Andy Stalter. Stalter. Okay, hold on. Andy, st- um, I'm blanking on the name here, so I'll figure it out sooner or later. Uh, the... Oh, you let it, you turned it off. Yeah, I turned it on. Yeah, Come on, guys, we're not the going wheels. Yeah, you know, seizing up but there. Ribs, people say all the time, you and OJ have a lot in common. Damn. So, of course, that's that. And then we have... What the... Are- I'm a killer on the mic. <laughs> Jamie. And on the ice. Jamie. Jamie Allegedly. Allegedly. I'm a killer on the mic. The glove did not fit. And you must have quit. Johnny Cochran said so. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. Are any of these players that are being connected to the Cardinals right now tangibly different than Brad Miller was a year ago? We'll tell you some of those names and why I'm not all that enthused about them. Coming up next on 101 ESPN. Muscular cell. What the f- we're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. So there's going to be good players out there at depressed prices. And so in a way, if it's a buyer's market and, and the Cardinals, even though they are dampened, they're not a bottom of the, of, the, of the payroll kind of a team. There's going to be opportunities out there, I think, to get pretty good players at, at reasonable prices. So that's something to keep an eye on. That was Mark Saxon on with us a couple of days ago. Jamie, he thinks there's going to be opportunities to sign good deals or good players on cheap deals. I then went over to The Athletic where he wrote a fantastic piece. You check it out on The Athletic. You can follow him at Mark A. Saxon about the players that could potentially be on some of those cheap, good deals. Jamie, none of these guys are any different than Brad Miller. If we're talking about these guys, they're always available, whether it be 2020's offseason or... 2012's offseason, these types of players that I'm about to present to you are always available every offseason on cheap deals. He brought up the names, and this is not a shot against Saxy, it's just kind of the, the waters that this, watch team, your this team is potentially swimming in. He brought up Jock Peterson, who we've been talking about for quite some time now, Tommy Lastella, Kevin Pillar, Jerks and Profar, Rich Hill as Dribble Cabrera, and Jonathan Scope. These are not players that significantly upgrade the lineup. Now we can talk about Jock Peterson. That's a different conversation to have entirely because he could potentially be a guy that you platoon. You play him in out in, in left field. Whenever Harrison Bader is out, you play Harrison Bader in center. When Jock Peterson is, is out and you can make it work that way in your lineup to make both of them into what is actually a pretty good player. Overall, I can get behind that a little bit, but these other guys, Tommy Lastella, Kevin Pilar, Jerks and Profar. I mean, the, these aren't these aren't guys that are significantly upgrading you in any sort of way. These are they're they're the equivalent, although different players, and upgrading you in different ways to what Brad Miller was as a signing going into this year. And obviously, that worked out for the Cardinals in a pretty big way. He helped them early in the season. But these guys aren't all that different than the guys that you hear any offseason connected to these teams on these bargain basement deals. Yeah, quite honestly. Now, the only guy that's notable in this group is Jock Peterson. I mean, for me anyways, I mean, I know, like you said, these guys bring different skills to the table, each and every guy, but the Cardinals are looking for one particular skill right now, and that's to crush baseballs and to create some offense. And, yeah, you know, Jock Peterson, too. And it just goes back to the DH discussion. Yep. 
Like, is the National League going to have a DH? If not, then, yeah, they've got to shuffle the deck like you just mentioned, like guys in, guys out. But then, you know, John Mosaloc is talking about Lane Thomas still getting an opportunity. And now Tyler O'Neill has a gold glove. Can't very well sit that guy on the bench for an extended period of time, I don't think. I mean, maybe I'm crazy. Dylan Carlson made some uh, some big steps last year. Dexter <laughs> Fowler's guaranteed a bunch of money. And Harrison Bader is quite possibly your best defender out of all of them. Where does it all fit? Do any of these guys get you kind of excited for Ariel? No, there's no excitement on any of those names. Now, I will say the difference between some of these guys and Brad Miller, I guess the argument could be consistency. Oh, they're going to say batting gloves. Well, and nicknames. I mean, nobody can compete with Milsey. But we talked about it before when you just bashed on Brad Miller, BK, saying he was terrible. You did, you did, you did. It's accurate. It was the only offense we had at one point. But if you look at his numbers, to BK's point, it was inconsistent. You had a couple of months that it was solid, and then he dropped off, like we saw this season with the Cardinals. Jock Peterson, as Mike Petriello said, can crush righties on a consistent level can't hit lefties. Jonathan Scope is the other one who at least is intriguing because he's an infielder. He can play DH. He can play a corner outfield for you. He's got a little bit more consistency. I think last year when he played, it was either Baltimore or Detroit. He played 123 games and hit 23 home runs. Yeah. So consistency's there more than Brad Miller was, but you're taking a chance on it. So no, none of these are exciting. Yeah, None of these guys are, are anybody that really tangibly upgrades you in a meaningful way. Do they all upgrade your roster? Sure. The same way that going into this year, Brad Miller made the Cardinals better. Going out and signing him to a bargain basement deal, we saw what it ultimately gave them, right? He he was, you're right, Ferrario. There was a time when he was a legitimate threat in the middle of the Cardinals lineup. Mm-hmm. The problem is when you sign guys like this, what we saw from him this year is what you get. You'll get three weeks, four weeks of really solid production, and he gave you that. But then at the end of the season, he ended up with a 230 batting average, which is kind of what he's been for his career with a little bit of pop in the lineup. That's fine. He was you a can, Matt Carpenter for you. Yeah, you, you can have that guy in your lineup and you, you live with it. But if this was a 162 game season, I think you would have seen him exposed. Over the last three years now, we've seen Brad Miller play a total of 200 games. He averages 70 games a year. He's not a guy that's going to be out there every single day. And there's a reason for that. When he was an everyday player for the Cardinals, it was too much for him. It wasn't the type of player that he is. That's the same thing for all of these guys that we're talking about right now. Now, Kevin Pillar can play center. He can add a little bit of pop in your lineup, I suppose. That's not really a guy that I'm... I don't think the Cardinals, there is any reason whatsoever for them to sign a middling outfielder. Yeah. If there's a guy that has really big time splits like Jock Peterson, okay, I can listen to that and put him as a as a platoon guy with Harrison Bader in center. But otherwise, I don't see that at all. Jerks and Profar, I guess there's a little upside there. But I mean, if you look at his his career, he's not a guy that's going to upgrade you offensively at all. If I'm going to go Profar, I'd rather go Marcus Simeon, who at least has more pop on his bat from Oakland, but he's going to be more expensive. That's the problem, right? You're you're looking at these guys where if you're going to upgrade, it's going to cost you something. If you're going to go out there and get Nelson Cruz or Simeon, whoever your guy is that you like out on the open market, and like we talked about earlier today with Mike Petriello, there will be even more that are added to the market after the non-tenders come in. There's going to be a lot of players out there that you think can help the Cardinals. The question is, what's the price going to be and how much do they upgrade from what they currently have relative to that cost? And for these guys that we're talking about right now, 
I would even go further into the bargain bin basement to be able to get like a one or two two million dollar deal as opposed to paying anything more for as Drew Cabrera and guys like this. I just I don't think that any of these other than uh, the guy that we've been talking about so much and Jock Peterson. I don't think they represent a big enough upgrade for you to really go out there and, and sign them. If these are the guys we're talking about, I wouldn't even go to the million dollar bit. Play your young guys. Give those guys, if this is what we're talking about, why even waste the money? Like, I'm not saying these guys are a waste of money, but they are. Like, why even bother? You always want to find out what you have, and Lane Thomas didn't get a chance, and this and that and the other. Well, then, you know what? Don't go to the bargain bin. Either go big or stay with the young guys and develop them. Especially if it's the outfield. To me, if you go out and get a middle-tier outfielder, you're just adding to the problem that you've had for the last five years of having a a load of guys that you're unsure about and can't get enough playing time on. Why would you go get somebody who's going to give you what possibly Lane Thomas or Tyler O'Neill can do? It doesn't make any sense. The one place that they do need an upgrade or at least somebody that can give them consistent at-bats is probably as a utility player. Because mm-hmm. if you're going to have Tommy Edmond this year playing second base every day, if that's the plan... Well, now you need somebody to play that Tommy Edmond role of being able to kind of roam around. And maybe actually now that I think about this a little more, maybe that's Matt Carpenter. That's what I was thinking. I don't know what the plan is, though, at third base, if you're not playing him there. I guess basically they've got one spot that they need to add a player at. I don't have I don't know if it has to be an upgrade for them necessarily, but they need somebody who can either be a utility player for them that can play all over the infield or somebody that can play third base at least relatively consistently. You got to have somebody who can spell Paul DeYoung. That's the biggest thing because Paul DeYoung cannot play you 130 games and be effective. If you don't have a shortstop and now you don't have Tommy Edmond who can give Paul DeYoung a day off every 10 or 12 games, that's going to be a major problem. That Max Schrock move is underrated, kind of sneaky important for the Cardinals He was a right lefty now. too, which when you lose Colton Wong, you kind of needed that lefty bat that you don't have anymore. What was the point of not bringing you him You had back? to take him off the 40-man roster. So they, they were trying to sneak him through what waivers. Options? What do you mean? Well, they could have put some, They could have tried to slide somebody else through there. I mean, I know that works. I, I don't know. I don't know what they were thinking about whether why they went with him over some of these other options. I, I legitimately don't have a good answer for you, but uh, they decided for whatever reason to go with Max Schrock. They were trying to slide him through waivers. It did not work. And the Cubs picked him up and now he is a Chicago Cub moving forward and the Cardinals kind of needed him for next year. If I'm not mistaken, you've lost both guys that you acquired in the trade for Stephen Piscotty. Yeah, they, they was, no longer have anybody from the Steven Piscotti or the Randall Gritchick yeah, trade. Yeah, it was Jairo Munoz and Max Schrock from that Piscotti trade. So, great move. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's 12-15. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Earlier today, Jeremy Rutherford wrote about what the role is going to be moving forward for Colton Pareko and more specifically what his mindset has to be as the true number one defenseman for the Blues. We're going to talk to JR about that and some of the quotes that he got from Doug Armstrong on Colton Pareko when JR joins us coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK out of 101 ESPN. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line to be joined by our Blues insider for 101 ESPN and The Athletic. He is Jeremy Rutherford joining us here on the show. JR, how you doing today, man? Doing well. Just hoping the dentist and the trainer don't call after last weekend. The dentist and the trainer don't call after last weekend. <laughs> All that candy. I'm sitting in front of a bunch of rappers here. 
<laughs> I love it. JR, you're the best, my friend. All right, let's get into this article that you wrote uh, earlier today about Colton Pareko and how he's ready to take on this number one role. You got some really great quotes from both Doug Armstrong and Colton Pareko in this. What was your biggest takeaway in talking to both parties involved in this on what the new role is going to be for Pareko and the belief that he's ready for this role? Yeah, a couple things. Uh, we all know Colton Pareko, and he's kind of a, a quiet guy, and he's had this label as a Mr. Nice Guy. And, you know, that's never going to change. That's going to be who he is. You know, I'm sure Jamie's had conversations with uh, Chris Pronger in the past about Colton Pareko. I have, too. And he said that, uh, look, he's going to be a great player. You can't make him into somebody he's not. He's never going to be that over overly physical guy. And so I think Colton Pareko has established himself in the league in the last five years. But now it's going to be different, guys. Uh, you know, it's going to be a step up to that number one position. Yes, he's done some of these types of things, played against the other team's top line, uh, so on and so forth. But now that pressure is on you without Alex Petrangelo around. And so the takeaway is he was excited about it. Uh, but the biggest takeaway is is how much Doug Armstrong put on him. He said, look, he's going to be the guy on the back end. He's the alpha male now. Yeah, and we talked about that a little bit earlier today. I think that's a great move by by Doug Armstrong, just declaring it. Make it easy for Colton Pareko to know that, hey, you are the guy and we believe in you and we're going to count on you. And I think that'll go a long way with Colton Pareko. And, and JR, the next thought I have on Colton Pareko is that he, to your point, he's already been playing this role. You know, over the last couple of seasons, specifically in the Stanley Cup run, uh, Colton Pareko and Jay Bowmeister were the shutdown tandem. Yes, Alex Petrangelo played some big shifts against the opposition's better players, but Colton Pareko was out there night in and night out against the Patrice Bergeron line, and he handled himself accordingly. So I think he's more than ready for that, I guess we'll call it the next step, but in my opinion, it's just continue to move forward. Yeah, it's funny. Sometimes when you uh, interview these guys, you know, you have some questions in your mind that you want to ask and, you know, some others that pop up during the interviews. And, you know, I wanted to ask him about, is he ready for it? And I found myself uh, during the phone call with him um, saying, hey, are you, wait a minute, you've already been doing this. So <laughs> I guess you're ready for it because, you know, you've, you've kind of been logging these types of minutes. You know, like I said in the article, this isn't a situation where you had a second pair defenseman, you know, like let's just use uh, Kevin Chattenkirk, for example, playing 22 minutes a night, mostly offensive situations. You know, Colton Pareko, uh, the past couple of years, he's only been about a minute, minute and a half shy of Alex Petrangelo in overall ice time, and he's played uh, more even strength ice time, five on five, then Alex Petrangelo. It's not to take anything away from Alex, who's been outstanding, but this is a situation where your number two guy has essentially been playing a defensive uh, role with all the defensive starts that, that he's had, and he's been playing against the other team's top line. So if you had a situation around the league uh, where you're taking a number two and making them a number one, uh, this is about the best situation possible in terms of what he's been able to do the past few years. Yeah, J.R. Colton Pareko has been a fantastic defensive defenseman. He's been great at lugging the mail out there. He closes guys out so quickly. He's got a great reach. All these things. But the one thing that we've never really truly seen from Colton Pareko is a lot of offensive upside. And I'm wondering in your discussions with Doug Armstrong and with Colton Pareko, did that get brought up? Does Doug Armstrong expect to see a little more offense from Colton Pareko? And did the player himself, Colton Pareko, mention anything about, well, you know what, I want to provide a little bit more in the offensive zone? 
Yeah, and, and so uh, I looked at the offensive zone starts and the defensive zone starts, and, and Colton Preco was way down. He was fifth among all defensemen on offensive zone starts. He had 66 fewer than Alex Petrangelo just last year. So Colton Preco, in terms of what Doug Armstrong said about this topic, Jamie, is that he's going to be given that opportunity. As Doug will tell you, hey, you can talk all, all you want about projections in the offseason. You have to execute. You have to perform. But the bottom line is now for the first time in, in quite a while, Colton Pareko is going to be given uh, those opportunities. And that includes five on five uh, with those starts. And it also includes time on the power play. Alex Petrangelo has been the guy on that right side on the power play. Now Colton Pareko is going to get a chance. I will say this, as much as Doug Armstrong is counting on Colton Pareko uh, to, to take that offensive opportunity and run with it, he did say it will be shared too. Look, they've they've got uh, Tory Krug coming in. They've got Justin Falk, who they hope can provide some more offense. So I don't think it'll solely be on Colton Pareko's shoulders in terms of bringing that offense, but he will have that opportunity. Hey, JR, it's Ferrario here. I got a question because, you know, we've talked with guys like Larry Robinson and and you mentioned Chris Pronger and even Al McKennis, who you had the quote in your article talking about how, you know, he needs to have the the McKennis mentality of take the shot. And if somebody's in the way, make them pay for it. Pareko flies under the radar, but do you feel like if that offense takes another step, he could be looking at a guy who's talked about in more of an elite fashion? Yeah, I think so. And he has to. That's the thing. And I could hear it in his voice. Uh, he did joke. You guys uh, probably saw it in the, in the article. But uh, when I asked him about taking that slap shot more often, he said, wow, that's kind of been my headline. That's the main topic for my career so far in St. Louis, that he doesn't take that shot. And, you know, he, he wanted went on to explain that, uh, you know, sometimes people are yelling, shoot it. But he sees that, uh, you know, there's potential uh, moving the play down low and letting the forwards work it and, and try to score. So I see where he's coming from, but I think the rest of us see it like you see it, Alex, is that he, he's got to take that shot. He's got to become that dangerous player. Uh, like Doug said uh, in the article, uh, Al McKinnis had that mindset that, hey, you're just going to wind up and shoot it, and eventually they're going to get out of the way. And if they don't, oh, well, just keep shooting it. And uh, and I think, uh, Al, or I'm sorry, uh, Colton needs to uh, approach it that way. I think we started to see that, guys, the second half of last year, I remember, you know, tweeting a lot throughout uh, games that, uh, hey, now he seems more comfortable. Now he's ripping it regardless of who's standing there. And, and so uh, it's been a while, you know, since since those times. But uh, we'll have to see him pick that up at the start of next season. Yeah, Jr. Having had the opportunity to work a little bit with Colton Pareko, one of his hangups with his shot is that he doesn't want to hit his teammates either. And he's had some troubles in the past of controlling not so much the velocity, but the height of the puck. And you get a guy like Braden Shen or Jaden Schwartz standing in front, and that thing is buzzing the tower just by the earlobes. That could be nerve-wracking. So uh, do you think that now that he's been given this opportunity, and yes, to Al McInnes's point, which is a great point, because I played with Al, and yeah, he buzzed the tower all the time. You wanted to get in the way, it was called a waster, because the next one you're not getting in the way. But at the same time, Al wasn't wasn't worried about hitting his teammates. So I'm just wondering, did Colton Pareko talk a little bit about, you know, maybe working on that a little more in the offseason and rounding out that part of it? 
Uh, not specifically. I'm laughing because you reminded me of uh, when I interviewed Bernie Federico uh, for his book uh, a couple years ago, and, and he said that uh, Brett was kind of the same way, where he would just rip it, and Bernie would sit next to him on the bench and say, Brett, come on, you missed my head by inches there, buddy. And he'd just say, sorry, you know, and uh, and, and so he has to have that uh, mentality. But but you're right. You know, Colton Pareko, it's, it's the biggest bomb we've seen since Al McInnes. I, I think uh, it's safe to say that. Uh, in this city, and sometimes, yeah, he does get a little high with it. And, and when you got Colton's personality, gosh, he doesn't want to put uh, Schwartz and Shannon those guys on the injury list for a couple two weeks. So um, he's going to be worried about that. But it, it's just part of the game, and I guess uh, you know you would know better than I, Jamie, on that. But uh, it's just something in your mind that you're going to have to get through because uh, when you have a weapon like Doug said, uh, you have to use it more. We're talking with Jeremy Rutherford here on 101 ESPN alongside Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. Jerry, I wanted to ask you because we, we read the article and we see all the, these quotes from Doug Armstrong. And one that in particular stands out to me is Doug Armstrong said, I've talked to Colton and in my view, it's his team on the back end right now. He's the alpha male. He's been here the longest. He's got the game to be the alpha male and he wants the challenge, end quote. Obviously, he's talking there about the back end. So he's talking specifically about the defense. Do you think there's any consideration being given to also put the C on Colton Pareko's uh, chest to not only be the alpha male of the blue line, but also to be the alpha male of the team going into next season and beyond? I think there's a possibility. You know, I wouldn't be completely shocked. I know there's a lot of momentum for uh, Ryan O'Reilly or, or Braden Shin to wear the C. Uh, you know, I think if you're trying to give a guy confidence and lift him, give him a boost to that next level and say, hey, listen, we believe you can be that guy, you know, what a better way to, than to put a C on him and say, take it and run with it. I didn't get too much into that with Doug in this interview. There was one. Uh, section that, that didn't make the article, but I asked him about Colton and, and being vocal. And uh, he said, listen, the leaders that I've been around in my career, Bob Ganey, Steve Eiserman, you know, they weren't necessarily uh, vocal guys. They did it with their play. And, and what Doug told me, and again, this didn't make the article, but he said that uh, you, you look at NHL players and their teammates just want them to be really good players. If they play very well and they don't say a ton, they can be later leaders, but if they don't play well and they talk all the time, then, then what difference does it make? So I think that's where he's at uh, with Colton. You know, the reason I didn't get a lot into the article uh, with that topic, you know, Colton being physical, like a Chris Pronger or, or him being a vocal leader is because, you know, I think we need to move past that point into that's not who he is. So why do we keep talking about it, uh, you know, for years and years when he's already been here five years? So would you like to see those things from him? Yes. But, you know, players bring different things to the table. Uh, you know, circling back to your, your question, you know, could he be a captain? You know, I suppose uh, that he could. Look, who, who would have thought some of these guys that they've put the C on, uh, you know, Alex in the past and, and others would be captain. So there is a chance. I just feel like uh, the Blues probably feel like they have that veteran leadership up front that they're probably going to lead on that uh, for their letters. Yeah, JR, I agree 100%. I see Colin Prego with an A on his jersey. I mean, if we step back and think about things for a second, now Doug has called him the alpha male on the blue line. He's finally the number one player. There's going to be a lot of eyeballs and expectations on this young man this upcoming season. I just don't know if right now is the time to throw a big heavy C on his chest and, and you know put that on his plate, too. I would love to see Colton Prego develop this season into that true number one defenseman, be comfortable in his role, 
and have a leadership piece in this team, but maybe not necessarily that pressure of carrying the full load. It's exactly right. And, and one thing, maybe some people out there listening are aware of this and, and others aren't, I'll just say it, is uh, there is so much that comes with the C that, that people don't even know. You know, people don't know what, uh, like Alex Petrangelo, you get to the rink at uh, 8 o'clock in the morning and, and you have your uh, treatment and then you have your practice and then you have you know meetings, things like that. So then everybody else goes home and, and you've, you're going to talk to a group or you're going to film a commercial or you're going to, it's an all day long deal. And so for the people out there who would like to see perhaps Colton Preco wear the C, I get it. You know, he's a young up and coming guy who could get, who could be a big part of this foundation, but there's also so much growth potential there that if he could just focus on that and not focus on some of the ancillary things that come with wearing the C, I think he'd be better off personally. Final question that I've got for you, JR is a little bit of a follow up on that. If we, are under the assumption that it's probably going to be Ryan O'Reilly that ends up with the C then. Is there any concern whatsoever about that other stuff that you're talking about right now? Because I'm not worried about him being a leader in that locker room at all. But is there any concern at all about that other stuff that comes with being the captain for him after the way that things ended for him up in Buffalo? I don't think so because I think he does that stuff already. He does a lot of that stuff on the side that, that people don't see. Um, and I guess if you turn on the TV, uh, you see these commercials. But to me, Ryan O'Reilly. <laughs> to me, Ryan O'Reilly um, is probably your captain. And if he's not, here's the only reason: because he's already a leader. And I don't think it doesn't matter if he has a C on it or not. People are going to listen to him. So if you had a situation where you really wanted to put a lot of confidence in a guy, let's just say like a Pareko or or one of the forwards up there, uh, and give them the C, you feel like this is a guy who's going to be here six, seven eight years and he's going to ride you into the future as a captain. I could see maybe then giving the, the captain to somebody else just because you know O'Reilly is going to do what he did the past couple of years without the C. Uh, but but I think uh, if you want to be clear cut and say, hey, who's the leader of this team without Petrangelo leaving, I think Ryan O'Reilly with the way he leads himself and also with the way he's brought guys in, especially younger guys, he's the guy that people look to. He's Jeremy Rutherford. Find his full article about Colton Pareko, his role for next year and how Doug Armstrong views Colton Pareko moving forward over on The Athletic right now. You can always follow him on Twitter as well, at J.P. Rutherford. JR, always appreciate the time. All the best to you and your family. We look forward to talking with you again next week. Anytime, guys. Thanks. You got it. That's Jeremy Rutherford here on 101 ESPN. Jamie, do you have any concerns at all about Ryan O'Reilly as the captain after the way that it ended for him out in Buffalo? No, uh, not at all. In fact, uh, I like the way it ended for him in Buffalo. He literally admitted that the team is on the wrong path and that he's not excited about going to the rink anymore. Was he wrong? Look at the team. They're still in shambles. So Ryan O'Reilly was 100% right. He spoke his mind. He never changed his work ethic throughout the entire process. Walked in here to St. Louis and on day one was the first guy on the ice and the last guy off. And he's dragging guys with him. I have no problems, no doubts whatsoever. Does it feel inevitable to you guys that it's going to be, and this is not a bad thing that it feels inevitable. Sometimes that can be a good thing. In fact, things just fall into place. Ryan O'Reilly gets the C and then in terms of the A on the chest, if, if he comes back, you think Steen will probably be one of them, at least for this upcoming season. And then Pareko would be another with St- uh, Shin being the third. And Schwartz being an option as well. To well, get Tarasenko one. wears an A too, guys. Mm-hmm. We can't forget about that, right? Yeah. So I think 
think the automatics, if they come back from injury, they're already set in stone, is Tarasenko and Steen. And then if those guys stay on long-term injury, then I do think it goes Shen and Pareko. Schwartz, he's a great guy. He has worn the name in the past, and if there's a reason for him to wear it again in the future, great. But Shen's got seven years left on his deal, and Pareko is now your number one defenseman. It kind of has to go that way. Real quick, here's what JR's not wrong about. Ryan O'Reilly's been doing that since he got to St. Louis, the roles of a captain. I see it. I mean, he's talking to guys after games. He's taking pictures. He's doing commercials. And look at what he did in his first season with the Blues. He can handle that load. If you're Colton Pareko or if you're Craig Berube, I don't want those distractions for him. I need him to be an elite defenseman. Don't let him have to handle that stuff. Put that on somebody who can handle it and still perform. It's interesting because just kind of comparing it to something else that I covered closely at the time. uh, I remember when Barry Odom officially got the job as Mizzou's new head coach. And he was previously a fantastic defensive coordinator. Everywhere he had been, he had been super successful as a D.C. He gets the job as a head coach in the first offseason. He says yes to all of the media uh, asks, right? If anybody asks him to go on a show, if anybody asks him to be somewhere for some sort of fundraising event, whatever it may be, he's going to say yes to everything. And so he did. And he was asked later on after his first season as a head coach, you know, what do you what have you learned about your role as a head coach as opposed to being a D.C.? And he basically said, I can't believe the amount of non-football stuff Uh that I have to do as a head coach. There's just so many things that come up that I'm not coaching football. I'm out doing a media event or I'm talking to fundraising or whatever it may be. And so it feels like I have less time to be able to actually coach football than I used to. That's kind of what we're talking about here with the captain. There's stuff that you have to do that is non-hockey related, that is basically business related for the Blues, that you almost have to become a figurehead for. And so that's the stuff that the captain has to be willing and able to do, even almost more so than leading sometimes. So if you get put the C on the, on the chest of somebody who's un, unwilling, unable, or just has trouble being able to balance those two things, or is already taking on a new role... That's where it can get a little bit difficult, at least from what I'm understanding for what you guys are saying. About yeah, it. no, you're right. And Ken Hitchcock, a long time ago, and this is to do with me, is uh, when I became a coach and a general manager in the minors of a team, I asked Ken Hitchcock for advice. You know, obviously pick his brain. He said, look, you're going to have a ton of things coming at you. You have to make sure you block off time specifically to be a head coach. And I never forgot that. And the same thing applies to these guys that are captains. You have to put that time aside to be the hockey player and everything else comes afterwards. He's Jamie Rivers. That's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kiley. What do we know about the 2021 Cardinals? Not what do we think we know? What do we definitively know at this point about what the 2021 Cardinals will be? We'll try to answer that question. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Hear from you guys as well when we return on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. He's Jamie Rivers. That's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. So I was listening to the fast lane the other day and they brought up what I found to be a really interesting question. We don't have to play the audio here, Ferrario. I'll what? just pass it along. What do we know about the 2021 Cardinals? I'm not asking what do we think we know about them. I'm asking definitively, definitively. As of today, what do we know that the 2021 Cardinals will be able to do? Like, I'm pretty certain. I think I know right now. I'm I'm almost definitive. They're going to have a really good bullpen next year. You're getting Jordan Hicks back. You had all of the arms that were able to come up this year. You feel really good about all of your high leverage spots. 
I'm pretty certain they're going to have a really, really good bullpen going into next year. What do you guys feel like as of today, you know, definitively, Jamie, about the 2021 Cardinals? Um, Not great. <laughs> well, Mo, uh, although you are a man of wisdom, <laughs> I will say this, that I agree with you right away. The first thing I think of is the pitching. And the next thing that rolls off my tongue is run. Well, wait a minute. You got rid of Colton Wong, so we can't go down. And we don't know about Yachty. Not sure about Yachty, so let's not go down that road. The only other thing I know for sure is that Paul Goldschmidt is going to be steady. He's going to be their best offensive guy, and he's going to be your pillar out there. He might be your only offense. That's, That's the only thing I'm sure of. I'm sure that there's a lot of uncertainty. And even in the bullpen, I'm thinking there's some uncertainty. Interesting, really, because we don't know what Jordan Hicks is going to be. I mean, look, Jordan Hicks is a rock star. He's he's a he's a fastball. He throws fire. He throws heat. But he's also coming off of Tommy John surgery. Remember what happened? With 18 the, months removed, though, at that point. That's typically when you played hit. this year. But look at how some long, point. and I get Alex Reyes is a different circumstance, but look how long it took Alex Reyes to get back to his position, and he was the same guy that Jordan Hicks was. His was shoulder, though, more so than it was the. Yeah, the and Tommy he punched Jones. a wall. See, so one of course. them is shoulder, the other is elbow. You know what, Ribs? I'm not a professional hand. athlete. It's a fair so point, I don't though, care. Ferrari, yeah. no, I'm just trying to but help then, with the musculoskeletal for John Brevy. Stay away from that. But I get a dump button loaded, ready to go. John Brevy is uncertain and he was a main pillar in that bullpen um you know you don't really know where carlos martinez i think there's some uncertainty in that bullpen rather than the the oh well we know that's going to be dominant and how dominant are they because of yadi or molina it's the other factor that you got to throw that's into this. That's a good point. That's actually a really I interesting know, point I there. Got right. Hang on a second. Mark this day on the calendar. <laughs> Listen to these guys, though, that I'm pretty certain are going to be in the bullpen and tell me how you don't think that this is going to be good compared to the other teams that you, are out Ferrario. there. Let's do it. Hit me with it. Cabrera, Gallegos, Gant, Helsley, Hicks, Carlos Reyes. That is six arms that I feel really good about going into next year. They all throw really hard. You think Martinez in the bullpen? Yeah, I think he's in the rotation. Yeah, I think he's Especially in the rotation. Wayno's not here. Honestly, well, then take him out and put in whether it be Ponce or Gomber. I feel really good. Honestly, about Honestly, you of those gave two me guys. those names though, and the only one that I am a hundred percent confident in is Gallegos. Really? I think the other one, guys. You're not a hundred percent confident in Reyes right now. I'm. I'm. That I, guy was showing. I three can't gas. have any more confidence in a bullpen reliever than I have in Reyes right now. I, I can't either. But you're always wondering, right? Like you're always wondering if that drop off's going to come because with Alex Reyes, and remember, you're going a 162 game season with Alex Reyes. You're not going a 35, 40 game appearance like he had because remember, he didn't start with the team. No, he had the yeah. The, and Ryan Helsley <laughs> hit the vid. Ryan Helsley's another one, guys. I mean, we were all nervous about Helsley coming into games towards the end of the season. Oh my God, he is by right. far my but he is my nervous guy. Every time that dude hits the mound, I'm like, oh. and John Gant didn't make the postseason roster. Yeah, so I mean, he's he another was hurt, though, right? Yeah, he was hurt. He was first. hurt at the end. Yeah. So but again, but you're going 162 game season. Are yeah, you? all of these guys are going to be hurt at some point. I mean, that's just that's it. the nature of relief. Injuries happen, Alex. But then, no, they don't. No, they don't. Not to your shoulders or the Tommy John. <laughs> Gallegos to me is hand. the only one that I am 100 percent confident in going into next season. I think some of that is just relievers in general they, they go through these wild swings of they're dominant for a couple of years and then they wane off and all of those sorts of things or even at times it's dominant for a week and then they have a bad game and because they are guys that'll pitch at the end of the season like 60 times and they're getting up to 60 70 innings it feels like those three or four appearances where they were bad 
carry just so much more weight than they would for other guys. So I think there's a little bit of that in there. I I do though. I I feel like we're pretty. I feel pretty certain that the the bullpen's going to be good. Is there anything else like Goldschmidt? I'm with you. We we are we are certain That's that he's going to be good next year. That's all I got. I feel pretty certain that you're going to have really good defense in center field with Harrison Bader. I'm I'm very confident in that. I don't know what else there is certainty about for this team. I'm certain they're they're going to be exciting, right? What? Just like Mo Tobles. <clears throat> Negative no? on that one. I don't see this team being more exciting well, this then, upcoming but season. You got, but you got Dylan Carlson. You got a Gold Glove outfielder and in, in Tyler, Tyler O'Neill. O'Neill doesn't even play every game. That's guys. Can we dive into that for a second, please? Just like a second. No, you don't even play as a regular guy in the lineup, and you win a Gold Glove. How? I'm sorry, Sabermetrics guys. Sabermetrics ribs. That would be like giving me the Norris Trophy the year I played 25 games for the Ottawa Senators because they were really good 25 games. I would have given it to you. I understand that, but you see how, how ridiculous it seems? No. Everything about the Gold Glove Awards this year was ridiculous. <laughs> the way that they did them was ridiculous. He did end up playing for what it's worth 50 games this season, so he actually that, that's more than I would have thought given how he, he started or just play in he played in 50 games he had 157 plate appearances so i i would imagine he well, started the best majority the gold of glove those. i've seen a few blunders out there in left field this year too so did marcelo zuna but he won a gold sure. glove how does that happen shouldn't a gold glove guy be like almost like nothing you, you didn't have the human element this year it was all about the numbers and in a small sample size that's how it can go he started 43 games this year i I've told you guys how I feel about the the defensive metrics in general. I I think they're really foolhardy to look at them and and think that that's the way that you should evaluate defense entirely. But this is the season that we had, and so whatever. I like I'm happy for the guy. Okay, I am. I'm happy for Tyler O'Neill. Like, look at man, I'm proud of you. But at the end of the day, what it, what it does, in my opinion, and maybe John Mosaylock feels the same way as you do on this, BK. But it kind of creates a little more confusion out there, right? Because you've got Dylan Carlson, who by far, I think, popular vote would say you want him starting in left field. He finished off the right way every day, right? Harrison Bader, as much as people don't, I don't know, I shouldn't say don't like him. As much as his offense becomes a hot topic, he did show some improvement and he's stellar defensively in center field. You got Dexter Fowler in right field who carries a big contract. And for all intents and purposes, Dex wasn't the problem. He was your the best Cardinals. outfielder. He At one point, he was one of the most reliable bats, even though we were expecting him not to hit the ball for a while, BK. Anyways, so then now you've got Tyler O'Neill, who's got a gold glove, and now you're going to have to sit him on the bench. He's going to become a bench player. I well, just think that's problematic. Weird. Like, it's weird. So I hear you. Uh, I think it's going to be a little bit of a rotation next year. I think they're going to go. I, If I had to guess what they're going to do with the outfield next year, I think they sign a guy. I don't know if it will be Jock Peterson, but a guy like Jock Peterson who can platoon with Harrison Bader. It doesn't mean he's going to play center, but against right-handed pitching, you'll have Harrison Bader out there. He'll be your starter against right-handed pitchers. Yeah, but isn't that where Peterson crushes the ball? The lefties is who he crushes, Left- if I'm not mistaken. No, it was right. Right. Lefties, so he's terrible. Switch that up. Take two. Harrison Bader will start against lefties. Jock Peterson starts against righties. And then you, if Jock Peterson's out there, he's playing in left. You'll put Carlson in center, and then you have Dexter Fowler out in right. I think you're also going to see a little bit of Tyler O'Neill in the outfield. I think you're going to see a little bit of Lane Thomas in the outfield. And I think they're going to do a little bit of a rotation of all of those guys at getting spot time at DH. Just go get Nolan Arenado. <laughs> Fix the issue. The reason why I bring this up 
is for that, the Cardinals are lacking certainty. And you pay for certainty. The thing that you're supposed to go out there and acquire, whether it be via trade or free agency, whatever it is, the the players that you bring under your umbrella, the hope is that they bring certainty to your team. And so you go into the following season having less uncertainty. The Cardinals feel like they have more uncertainty going into next year than they have in the last five years or so. And that's where it gets a little scary. Because now, if you don't have Wong, if you don't have Yachty, if you don't have Wayno, there are questions as to who's going to replace them and what the guys are that are taking the place of the guys that previously had those jobs. Now you're pushing everybody up a spot too far. This is what they do in the lineup, and it comes back to haunt them. They have guys like Paul DeYoung that should probably be six-hole hitters that are moved up to the cleanup spot because they don't have that cleanup hitter. And so you've got guys in roles that they shouldn't have. They're a jo- they've been promoted a job too high. And I think that's going to be something that we have to watch out for going into next season. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll dive into the junk drawer coming up next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Let's dive into the junk drawer. So, Jamie, I know you have a lot of pets at home. We call it the uh, the River Circus. Yes, sir. Have you ever had a parrot as a pet? Nope. Thanks for clarifying what a parrot was. No, I, I, uh, I despise everything about birds, so I would never own a bird as a pet. Why do you despise everything about birds? Look, when you're out, like birds. I I didn't know that this was going to get that kind of a response. Look, when you're out, I thought you like birds. I've been in houses before where people have birds, and you got to get rid of them. And uh, those birds, they stare you down. I think they plot revenge on a lot of people. Clearly. They, they, okay. they look to destroy. Clearly. I had no idea it was such a yeah. touch point. Uh, I hate, I hate for birds. Ferrario. I hate birds. So a gentleman out I don't understand in, that. in Brisbane, Australia, actually is very lucky that he has a bird as his pet. Aren't we all? Mm. His house uh, came under fire. And I mean, literal fire, not like gunfire. If you tell fire. me the bird carried him to safety, no. I'm going to lose it. It caught fire in the middle of the night. It's about two o'clock local time in the morning, 2 a.m. And this gentleman was fast asleep in his house. Could have been catastrophic for him. However, his parrot heard a large bang and alerted its owner by saying its owner's name. It said, Anton, Anton. You got to do it in a bird bird voice. voice. I don't know that I've got it in. It makes me sounded exactly like that. <laughs> it makes me uncomfortable. It woke Anton up, and Anton was able to escape the home completely unscathed. Now his home is completely decimated. It is gone because of this fire, unfortunately. However, he was able to survive the fire at his house, Jamie, entirely because he had a bird that Ferrario would have hated, and it woke him up in the middle of the night by shouting his name. You know what other pet can do that? A dog. Can't shout your name, but it'll bark. Yeah, but a dog can't fly. Okay. True. I mean, it's hard to argue that one. That's great, but the dog can also bark and wake you up when there's a fire or a big bang and tell you to get fly. out of the house. Alex, it can't, we can't hey, fly. My I've dog seen is everything worthless with that stuff because she like sees somebody crossing the street from 30 feet away, and she is ready to attack from the inside. Right? Oh. She is ready to dominate. Can't wait to visit. <laughs> but if somebody like that actually comes over. She's like totally afraid and goes and cowers in the corner. It's like, okay, cool. So if somebody is outside walking across the street, you're going to be big tough guy. 
But if they're actually doing anything inside of our home, you're you're of no use to me. Well, you should invest in Jamie Rivers to bark at people for you. Yeah, Good right. Point, honestly. My dogs, when the fire alarm starts to beep, and we got those ones, you know, they're all synced together, and they, they beep, beep, and then they go, fire, fire. Even though, Your like, dogs say that? No, no, no. Oh. That would be fun. It's impressive. Uh, but <laughs> well trained. My one dog... <laughs> She loses her mind and runs and like will jump on you and like shake and like, so you. There's no doubt she's not. Well, she's not yelling my name by any means, obviously. But when that little beeping thing goes off, she jumps in the bed and like will like shake on top of us and right away you know okay something ain't right. My here. dog's the same way. Now we it's not a fire circumstance, but the other night, of course, Katie, my wife, is pregnant. We were she was upstairs, I was downstairs. Our closet like shelf fell off. Big bang. Didn't know what it was. I didn't hear it because I was downstairs watching television. Dog just continuously barking. And my wife is sitting there like holding part of it up that fell. So the dog's barking in the basement like, hey, get the F up here. I ran upstairs and of course the dog's sitting there telling me, hey, you need to help. Better than a parrot. It is. Well, it's a, a parrot could have yelled, though. Well, Something will fall at our place, and my dog just scours up to be able to cuddle with me. It's dog like, runs, on, runs in the closet. She's afraid of what's about to happen. It's like, I'm not going to. You're supposed to help me, not the other way around. Help me help you. He's Jamie Rivers. That's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll go out to see, talk to our guy, Danny Mack, coming up next. I want to ask him about what he feels is certain about the Cardinals going into 2020. We'll get into that with him coming up next. And how does he view this team as we kind of head into free agency or that's all coming up with Danny Mac next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's go out to the Brown and Crippen celebrity line. Happy to be joined by Danny Mack, Cardinal broadcaster and host of Scoops with Danny Mack weekdays from 10 to 11 o'clock right here on 101 ESPN. Dan, always enjoy having you on the show, man. How you doing today? I am doing great. How about yourself? Uh, doing very well. So let's start with this. Jamie and I have been talking about this quite a bit over the last few days. We just find it absolutely ridiculous that the offseason has officially begun and teams are technically able to go out there and sign free agents right now. And yet we have no idea whether or not the National League is going to have the DH going into this year. How difficult does that make? I mean, here locally, for instance, John Mosellock's job of being able to construct this roster without knowing what the future is going to hold for the DH. I think it's difficult on both sides, not only for teams, but for individual players. Like a Nelson Cruz, you could have half the league only available for his services. So it puts him behind the eight ball a little bit. It puts teams behind the eight ball. And I would hope it would put a sense of urgency on saying, let's come together on some kind of collective bargaining agreement. Because if you're going to have the DH again in play next year, and by all accounts, I would think that that would be something that the players want that would be a check mark in their box and so that has to be negotiated and we don't know what the season looked like is going to look like next year you know so if you're getting into a season where let's just say that games are cut down and you're playing 144 games or 154 and it's going to be prorated salaries now you're back to where you were at the middle of the summer trying to get this last season going and so there's going to have to be give and take with that. But that's part of what is going on right now is that that has to be part of the CBA and part of that has to be negotiated between the Players Association and Major League Baseball. So time is of the essence with some of these players. Now, 
I wouldn't think that it would get to be um, a rough period until you get towards spring training and guys are without jobs, but you'd like to have that known sooner rather than later whether or not a DH is in play. Danny, some nights I lie awake in bed, maybe a little bit buzzed, maybe not. I'm not sure. But when I do lie there, I think of some things. And this has been going through my mind. And, uh, you know, I've thrown it out there a couple of times. But do you think the owners are strategically holding this DH back in order to drive some demands down from some of the players who would fall into that category and might jump at a cheaper contract just to make sure they have a job opportunity? Well, the the big CBA will be 2022, and so this is going to be a major sticking point one way or another looking ahead to the collective bargaining agreement, and there's no doubt, you know, the players are saying, look, those are high-paying jobs. We want those jobs in play. Do I think the owners are withholding that? I, I really don't because I don't think they understand, nor does anybody understand, what the future holds with the vaccine, if it's in play, are we able to congregate with 25% capacity, 50% capacity, which then allows you to set budgets. And then you have to think into account, Jamie, and take this into account, um, the, the, the capacities of the various cities of what do those jurisdictions allow. So I understand your, your question, and it makes a lot of sense. I just think everybody's kind of in a waiting period in a lot of these things. So whether it's you know, getting a DH in play, do you go out and sign Trevor Bauer? Uh, do, you, do you let go Wong? Do you go get him? Do you, do you sit there and say, is Yadier Molina fit into our plans? What do you pay him? I think all these things are, are in a wait-and-see part of it, and the DH falls in that big picture of things because we just don't know. I'm not trying to sidestep the question. I, I just don't think we know. It's an interesting point, Dan. The, the question that I would have kind of to follow up on that is, is there any risk of another owner coming in and saying, all right, you guys are all waiting. That's perfectly fine. But for instance, let's say Cohen up there, the new owner with the Mets comes in and says, screw that. I'm not waiting. I'm going to go ahead and take advantage of a market that I see some inefficiencies in right now. And I'm going to go sign some of these dudes. If you guys want to keep waiting, that's perfectly fine. I'm not as worried about the money situation. I just bought into this for a reason. I want to go get Yachty or Molina or whoever the player is, right? Is there any risk of that of, of some other team or teams uh, coming in and deciding to to go a little bit more uh, full bore ahead with this free agency market. I think there's going to be that for sure, BK. And you look at the debt service that the Mets are going to have on this. And usually, when you have a new owner, it takes a while, you know, for them to to pay off the debt service on what they invested in to to buy the team. Mets are a, a big, big team. It was billions of dollars. He is worth billions of dollars. So uh, is, is it a hit to go buy the team? Sure. I mean, is he going to take that? Yeah. But could he be aggressive in this free agent market? And is he one of the guys and one of the owners and maybe one of the teams that I look at uh, being aggressive in free agency early on as opposed to, to later? Absolutely. I, I think the Mets would be in that category. I would say probably the Yankees because they're always in that, that discussion. I would probably say the Dodgers would be another one and maybe one other team, maybe two. And then that's it. I, I think everybody else kind of waits and sees what the market is going to bear and how it starts to shape up. Um, and what that means, too, is December 2nd is a very important date looking ahead in the free agency period because that is when you're going to see arbitration guys either get tendered or non-tendered. And there could be another wave of some really good players and names on the open market that teams are just waiting for. And that's why between now and December 2nd, Outside of some of those teams are talking about, it could be a very, very quiet period in baseball. 
And then hopefully in early December, the market sets itself a little bit. You got some of those bigger names out there, and, and some of those teams start to dip their toes in the water, realizing that you know spring training is around the corner and we've got to start to make decisions on our teams and have a better idea of what our our budgets look like and every team right now is running these various budgets you know no fans in the stands fewer games 15 percent capacity 25 50 percent whatever it is and hopefully by that time of december we got a better idea what's going on danny we, we uh, talk every day about Yachty and Wayno and the possibilities of, you know, retaining them or where they could end up. And, you know, the, the, the Yachty watch is on. My question is not so much where Yachty ends up or what happens there, but if for some reason he's not in a Cardinals uniform next year, where are the Cardinals going to bridge the gap between now and when Herrera is ready to get behind the plate for the Cardinals? Well, that's a great question. I think it's free agency, to be quite honest with you. And the reason I would say that, I'm not sure they would be willing to turn the keys over to Andrew Kisner for 120, 130 games. The reason I say that is that this last year, you know, Kisner, this would have been the ideal time, 11 double headers, uh, game after game after game, where you needed catching, and they turned to Matt Wieters. And I'm not taking anything away from Matt Wieters, but – there was a guy that had a broken toe, was struggling getting into the catcher's position and wasn't hitting at all, and yet they went with him and didn't see what they had in Weeders. What it would tell me is that maybe they thought Weeders wasn't quite ready. Now, they may be forced into saying, look, it's a bad year for a lot of things going on financially. Um, we're going to ride it out, and this is our year to find out about a lot of guys, again, whether it's Tyler O'Neill, Bader, um, Lane Thomas, which we're, we're kind of getting the, the understanding of those three, but maybe we, we throw Kisner into that, um, that, uh, that group of players where they may be forced to do that. But I, I would look at some of the free agent guys, too, and say it's got to, we got to have a veteran presence with him in case – we just find out it, it's just not going to work at that point. It's interesting you mentioned the outfielders there and Tyler O'Neill, Lane Thomas, and of course going into next year, they're also going to have Fowler, Bader, and Carlson in the mix as well. A guy that we've heard connected a lot to the Cardinals at least early, and this is not like saying any reporting saying they're going to be interested in him, but just as someone who would maybe make some sense for the Cardinals as a cheaper option is Jacques Peterson. And the reason why you would bring him in is basically to platoon potentially with Harrison Bader. Do you think platooning in the outfield is maybe a cheap option for them to be able to go improve this offense Dan or is that something that they've already got five outfielders out there do you really need to bring in another guy to get into that mix oh I think you platoon I think absolutely you look at that because you know when I looked at the the situation with Wong it told me that they are looking hard at number one payroll flexibility I mean 11 and a half million dollars off the books is 11 and a half million dollars I mean that's nothing to to sit there and go, well, that's no big deal. That's a lot of money. Um, but it also told me that they're looking at offense. And Wong, despite the fact that he is a tremendous defensive player, and there's no doubting that he is, two-time gold glover now after last night, his OPS was roughly, what, BK, 650, 675, something yeah. like that. You know, they're saying we, we are looking at clubs in this postseason, and they are slugging. They are hitting hard. They're mashing the ball. We need to find guys that are hitting the ball hard. And if that means we're going to strike out a bunch, so be it. We are going to find guys that can match the ball. So I think, too, if you watch how the postseason was played on some, with some of these teams, not all, but some of them, including the Dodgers, they did a lot of platooning. You know, they did a lot of mixing and matching. And so it fits right into that mold, and it's a copycat league. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if that's 
one of the ways that the Cardinals look at improving the club. And that's what I'm saying in the big picture. you got a lot of these guys that are going to become free agents potentially in, in early December. You, we're already seeing the, mar- the market get flooded with some pretty big names out there. You probably are going to be able to get some of these players on one-year deals if you wait it out, if you're patient, and they're not going to make the kind of money that they would in a normal year. And for them personally, they're saying, hey, I'll take the one year, I'll reset my own market, and then come back and try to get it back to normal in 2022. So you may be able to do that, patchwork this thing, and say, hey, let's let's go for it in, in 2021 by mixing and matching. And and Peterson's a guy that, that does intrigue me. You, you brought up his name. He's 28. He mashes right-handed pitching. You're primarily seeing right-handed pitching. And for him personally, maybe it's a way to reset his own market. And the Cardinals used to say that they wouldn't give him a chance against some of those lefties that pop up. So I do think it's an avenue that they look at for sure. Danny, we we look at adding guys, but what, in your opinion, of course, What's the threshold on the contracts? Like, what's the threshold that the Cardinals are looking at going, okay, yeah, $7 million is the most we'd spend, $8 million. Like, because obviously they, they, sh- they shed the Colton Wong contract, which is $11.5 million to the good, I guess you'd say, by savings. But what's the threshold for them to go out and get the, a player that needs to mash the ball and help their offense? Depends on how far they look at internally, I would think, and say, are we that close to winning? And if they feel when they remake this roster that they're not that far away and one of those guys is there, uh, I think they would spend some of that money. I also think that, again, I know I sound like a broken record, it really depends on what you have coming through. You know what I mean, Jamie? It's really hard to set a budget and say, hey, I feel comfortable paying player X this amount of dollars knowing that no one's at the ballpark or we're only going to have 20% or 25% because you, you just can't stretch that much depending on the team and depending on the budget. So I, I think there's a, it's a tough question to answer because you have to answer internally, how far away are you and is he a missing piece? And if he is, do you go for it? And if, it, if that's the case, I think they would do it knowing that there's going to be more people at the ballpark next year. Final quick question that I have for you, Dan. The Cardinals' confidence in their young starting options if Wayno goes elsewhere is what? I think it's pretty high. I, I think they feel that they, if you look, like for instance, if you look at Tampa Bay, Randy Orozarena was a great story. There's no doubt. And if you look outside of Randy Orozarena, they did not hit. They, they had a couple of timely hits. They mashed the ball with a, couple, with a couple of guys. And I think that's the, one of the models that you look at if you're the Cardinals. You say, okay, they had this guy go on this tear. You take him out of the lineup, they're hitting about 178, I think it was, going into the World Series. They had a couple of guys, though, that hit some home runs, timely fashion. We won games because we could turn games over third time through a lineup to a bullpen that was dominant. And when I look at what the Cardinals have, they're going to probably ask a lot of these guys to come into camp stretched out as starters. Maybe it's Tennessee Cabrera, uh, Ryan Helsley. I'm not saying they're going to be starters, but I think they, they at least have that option. Alex Reyes. Um, they have a couple of guys that they like in their minor league in the, in the pipes, uh, in the, uh, the system there in the pipeline that they say, hey, be ready to go. We may count on you. And what was the one thing that you needed in this postseason, you needed all the time, is depth with their pitching. And that's why I think the Cardinals, if you look at them offensively, do they need help? Absolutely. They're going to be challenged, but they're going to stay into a lot of games because they can pitch. And if you look at it statistically last year, if they scored four more runs, they were winning games. So I do think even minus Adam Wainwright, if he doesn't come back, there are guys that are there to take that next step. 
and it's it's time for them to do it. And that could be an Austin Gomber, Daniel Ponce de Leon. Really like Gomber, by the way. And I'll throw this in there, too. I, I think if you're the Cardinals, there's got to be you know reservations with Alex Reyes as a starter. You don't know about that. Carlos Martinez was not good as a starter this year. Miles Michaelis, he's coming back off an injury. You're always cautious about that. They're really going to miss Dakota Hudson. So they're going to have to have some of these guys, young guys, step up. But that's where they do have a strength of their franchise is that depth in their pitching. He's Dan McLaughlin. You can hear him weekdays from 10 to 11 o'clock right here on 101 ESPN. Also, give him a follow on Twitter at DannyMacTV. Dan, always appreciate the time, man. We'll talk with you again tomorrow morning. You got it. Thanks, guys. Absolutely. That's Danny Mac joining us here on 101 ESPN. I think that the idea of platooning as a way to improve this offense is going to be I know it's not what Cardinals fans want to hear, and I totally understand why it's not what you want to hear. But if they're not going to go this big route of Nolan Arenado or Francisco Lindor or the big free agent signing, this is probably going to be the next best opportunity for them to be able to get a cost-controlled guy, Jock Peterson, whoever the guy is that you like, that can hit one side, either really good against lefties or really good against righties. Jamie, I went through and I, I looked through the, the career OPS for the Cardinals outfielders and what they do against righties versus lefties to try to find out, OK, is there a big split here? And if there is, how can the Cardinals take advantage of it? So here's what I found. Tyler O'Neill in his career is 100 points better in OPS against righties than he is against lefties. That's not insignificant. He goes from being a pretty decent hitter against righties to being awful, worse as a hitter than Colton Wong in, against lefties. Opposite of what it should be? It's strange. But that's where it is for him so far in his career. Lane Thomas, there's not a huge sample, so it's kind of hard to make any definitive statements about his splits thus far, but he's a little bit better against lefties so far in his career. Harrison Bader is massive. This is the guy you want to platoon. Harrison Bader so far in his career against lefties an 855 OPS. That's a really good hitter. That's like what Brad Miller was for much of the season this year. You you can play that guy every day and feel really good about it. So Bader should absolutely be out there against lefties. The problem is he's a 660 OPS against righties. So you don't want him playing against righties. You want him out there against lefties. And then Dexter Fowler is quite a bit better in recent years against righties than he is against lefties. So there's some options here for them to be able to go this route. But they've got to convince Mike Schilt that this is the way to go. They've got to decide we are going to stick with these platoons. We're going to play these guys in only the matchups that are advantageous for them. If you want to learn something from the Rays, this is the lesson. The lesson is you got to go with the matchups. You got to go with the guys that are going to give you the best chance to be able to succeed against certain pitchers, especially when you don't really have any household names in that outfield. If you had a guy that was a rock star, play him every day. The Cardinals don't really have that right now. So I would say go with your platoons in center and in right. Because Dylan Carlson in left just doesn't have enough right now to be able to know, is there any sort of a platoon with him yet? Let's find out first before we decide to go that route with him. Yeah, that's a great observation. And uh, 65780, the Air Comfort Service text line from the 618, kind of you know leaning towards you. Why not platoon Bader and O'Neal? I mean, you look at Bader's defense, and now you know statistically or analytically, Tyler O'Neill's a gold glover in center field. He is fast. He covers a lot of area, and they're opposite, right? One yeah. hits good against righties. One hits good against lefties. You allow Dylan Carlson to stay in without platooning him, and then maybe in your right field you have Dexter Fowler, or maybe you put in a Jock Peterson in that 
position. Yeah, I mean, you you could even go with Thomas and Fowler kind of platooning out and right, you know, because Thomas so far, again, it's small sample size is a little better, better against lefties and Fowler's quite a bit better against righties. So maybe you do. You make it work with these five guys and you say, OK, we don't have one good outfielder in center field. We don't have one great outfielder in right field, although, again, we've said this a million times, Fowler wasn't the problem for this team last year maybe we want to get Fowler a few days off. So that's the way we're going to do it. This is kind of built-in playing time off for him. And we're going to have Lane Thomas spell him on certain days, and it's going to be in these advantageous matchups. The one that you mentioned, though, with Bader and O'Neal makes a ton of sense. If Bader is a good defender and all of the numbers told us that he is, and we'll see, then give him a shot. Give him a shot in the positions where he has been successful. Don't expose him because he's being exposed right now when he's playing against lefties. Don't put him out there against left-handed pitching. Let him play against righties. See what he does for you there. Let Bader play against lefties. See what he does for you there. And if it works after the first two months, stick with it. If it doesn't, then you can switch it up at that point. But for the time being, this is probably your best way to be able to put together what is a productive outfield. And this is what the Cardinals have been searching for for five years now. Yeah, I agree. 100%. I would give it a shot, especially if you're you're John Mosaylock and you're not looking to add a whole bunch of money to your payroll and you still are talking about how certain players, i.e. Lane Thomas, haven't really had his chance. This is the perfect way to do it. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line from the 618. But guys, you still need to add pop. I think the place that they would do that if they go this route would be DH. Mm-hmm. If they decide if that they're, they're allowed to have a DH. <laughs> and this is where the uncertainty comes back in. But if they decide to go cheaper in the outfield and go with this type of a platoon environment in the outfield, well, then you can spend a little bit more, maybe, potentially. We'll see. On a DH, and that's where maybe you make that bigger upgrade in your lineup. But you're upgrading by doing this, even if you don't actually add players to mm-hmm. the mix. You're putting players in situations. It's it's like putting a guy in a position to succeed as opposed to putting him in a position to fail. I'm not going to put an offensive lineman out at wideout when I'm between the 20s, right? It makes no sense. You're not taking advantage of his skill set. He might have good hands, though. He's Jamie Rivers. That's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, we're going to talk with Chris Kerber about the topic of the day for the Blues. Colton Pareko, officially the alpha dog on the blue line. What's that mean for him? What's that mean for the Blues next year? We're going to talk it over with the voice of the Blues coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Happy to be joined by the voice of the blues. He is Chris Kerber joining us here on the show. Curbs, how you doing today? Brandon, I'm doing really well. I'm sitting here wondering if there was a meeting or at least a conversation in the Major League Baseball uh, offices saying, hey, did we really think this through when we decided to release the Gold Glove winners? <laughs> well, was there anything else <laughs> that anybody was paying attention to last night? You know, I mean, I'm sure that I I can't imagine what that meeting was like, where they were like, hey, you know, well, we've got to decide on the calendar what day would be best for us to release, you know, this big night of awards for us, the Golden, uh, golden Glove Awards. What do you guys think would make the most sense? November third. Nothing else going on. Jamie, that sounds great. It's a Tuesday night. I'm sure that it's going to have the full exposure because, you know, football's on Monday and Thursday. We'll, we'll take a Tuesday in early Corner November. Of the market. Like, what, did nobody I, look at the calendar and say, oh, damn it, there's something else that day as well? 
I, I've always thought this, this would probably you guys should do a new segment. You can call it the boardroom, right? Where like there's always something where you're going. Didn't somebody in the meeting ask this question or what do you think? Like, like think of a bad advertising campaign or something or something where somebody totally missed it. And you're going, can you imagine of being in that meeting where somebody said, Hey, I've got an idea and this is it. Like, <laughs> Curbs, I mean, do you think I, that I, guy I, still I, has I a job kind of today? What, say that? I said, do you think that guy who made that final decision to have the uh, the Gold Glove Awards on election day? Do you think that guy still has a job today? <laughs> I don't know. Like if you're <laughs> if you're Manfred, do you sitting there watching this going on? Going, I think I'm going to text. Nah, you know what? There's no point. Don't even send the text. <laughs> we'll deal with it tomorrow. Just let it go, man. Just let it go. We're talking with Chris Kerber here on 101 ESPN. All right, Kerbs, I wanted to talk to you briefly about this Colton Pareko story that Jeremy Rutherford released earlier today. He had some great quotes from both Pareko himself and Doug Armstrong talking about Pareko. I want to share one with you here. Uh, Doug Armstrong said, quote, I've talked to Colton, and in my mind, it is his team on the back end right now. He is the alpha male. He's been here the longest. He's got the game to be the alpha male, and now he wants the challenge, end quote. Again, that was Doug Armstrong in JR's piece talking about Colton Pareko. And now that this is going to be Colton's role, what do you think we see different from his game this year? We always talk about the mentality and trying to be a little more aggressive with his shot, but what do you think we see tangibly as fans change from Colton Pareko going into this upcoming season? If we see anything change, I, I think the change will be in the fact that you see more of what his all-around game can really be because he's going to be in more positions to show it. I, I think, and and really, I, I got to defer to Jamie on this one who played defense in the league. You're talking about a guy that that is only going into his sixth season in the National Hockey League that has now gone to a conference final once, a Stanley Cup final, and won it. And you look at some of the stats over the last couple of years, guys, and I'll bet you his even strength hockey stats are right in line with Alex Petrangelo's, if not at times his minutes are even more. And I think the biggest difference between minutes played between Colton Pareko and Alex Petrangelo is the fact that Alex Petrangelo was getting more of the candy on the power play. So I think if you're going to see anything, it's just going to it's going to be more of a continued development into an all-around number one defenseman in the National Hockey League, because the situations are going to dictate he gets the playing time versus having to have watched that playing time go to somebody else the last couple of years. Yeah, Curbs, I agree, and you're right. You know, he's at the point now in his career where you have to see as an organization if he can still trend upward with his development. Can you get some more spike out of this guy moving forward, or has he hit his plateau? So I think the timing, based upon the Alex Petrangelo free agency and all that stuff, I think the timing is perfect for Doug Armstrong to basically tell him, this is your moment, you know, go seize the opportunity, and at the same time, we think we you can bring some offense to us. And the number one way to do that, Curbs, and we discussed that earlier, 
is I would literally tell Colton Pareko, every time you get the puck, if it's on a power play in that situation, I want you shooting it. I want it to be so obvious that you're shooting the puck so our forwards have no doubt to get to the net and their forwards know that, you know what, if I get in the way of this, like the hurt is coming here, so I'm either going to block this shot or next time I'm going to get out of the way. Either way, I think by default curves, it creates a little more offensive upside for Colton Pareko. Well, and, and the fact that the fact that Doug Armstrong is essentially publicly saying he's the alpha dog back there, I hope that that gives Colton Pareko the confidence to, for lack of a better way of saying it, be a little more selfish. I, I hope it gives him an opportunity to to go ahead and let it rip because it's not like you've got somebody waiting in the wings behind him here. Now, this is going to be interesting because – it's clear based on recent history. You look at this defensive group. Doesn't Tory Krug become your number one quarterback on a top power play unit right now? I mean, it, it, it would make be. all the sense in the world. Okay, so if that if he does if, if that happens, that leaves Colton Pareko with the last minute of the power play, forty five seconds. For me, there's two things on the power play that help, and I and I think we saw Colton Pareko shoot it more. And by the way, we always tend to focus on the power play. We, we need to see that shot more often five on five too. Uh, that that has to be w- without a doubt part of it. Some of it comes down to his footwork. Is he in position to shoot the puck? Man, I'll tell you another thing though is. Do we have somebody passing the puck to him where they're putting it in his wheelhouse to shoot it? And that's another big factor there where the other players around him have to get into the habit of looking to pass that puck to him in his zone. Jamie, I, I almost think they got to go to him and say, where do you want the puck? Like, it, like, like, where do you want us to put the puck for you to one-time it? And to me, that's... That, then they've got to start doing it and working on it. And it's a practice thing. It's a consistency thing. It's a coaching thing, you know, to, to get that consistency in there. But that's a big part of that process. Yeah, I agree, Curbs. And you're right. Tory Krug is going to get the lion's share of at least the first minute to minute 15 of the power play. But I look at it as, and to your point, how do we get it to where Colton Pareko gets the puck in the wheelhouse? And how do we get it to where, you know, he realizes that they want him to shoot the puck? I think it's clear. You have two different different power play units with two different identities. Your number one power play, certainly you let those guys get as creative as they'd like to be. Your number two power play, you turn that into a shooting gallery where you have someone who can put it in the wheelhouse for Colton Pareko. You've got guys that are willing to not only just get to the net, but stand in front of the net while he's shooting. And then you take that doubt out of the game. Colton Pareko knows that he's shooting the puck. Your entire power play knows that they're into screen or deflection mode, as well as puck retrieval after that. And and like I said, you just pepper the opposition with bombs from the point. Well, and you know, we've got to look at this. You're talking now, you're, you're talking Ken Hitchcock, right? Mike Yo, Craig Berube. You're, you're talking about going from, you know, from, from Brad Shaw to, to Mike Van Ryan, okay? Well, we're looking at a lot of different coaches that have seen this shot, all right? Well, we're talking about it. It's not a secret, right? In the end, to me, I think that, like, there's no way that all those different coaches have said, well, we're just going to hold off and not make this happen, right? So, to me, I do think part of it comes on to the player and the mentality of the player. And I guess that should remain one of the question marks and storylines to watch. 
is Colton Pareko willing to let it fly more and take those chances and go ahead and, and make that a much bigger weapon in his arsenal? Uh, because, look, you, you've got to think that all those coaches involved have looked at that, and, and every single one of them, you know, at one point in time, Jamie and Brandon have had to have said, well, we, we definitely would, uh, want to see this shot more. No one is saying we want to see the shot less. Final question that I've got for you, Curbs, is kind of off of this subject, but on to when are we going to see Colton Pareko back on the ice? What have you heard from whether it be players, personnel, pe- people that are inside of the league as to what it's been like to try to prepare for the upcoming season with the uncertainty of knowing when the actual start date is going to be because there's been really nothing that is determined on that end yet? Yeah, so, you know, imagine fans trying to figure out what do we do from a ticket standpoint, that kind of thing. Players are in the same mode from a player standpoint. I talked to a couple of guys on Monday, and the level of frustration that they have, they understand that there's really no real answers to be given yet, but they're not sure how to train. You know, do we train like this is the middle of July, knowing that we, we still have a couple months, or do we start to train like we're getting into it in just a, a couple of weeks here? And so some players are still considering going back out of town to, to where they might vacation in the summertime so they don't get bored with, with training here. They're different things like that. So it, it is. I, I know fans would really love to have some answers, Brandon, but I can tell you that I, I know that there are presidents of teams, hockey players for teams, uh, front offices, general managers that just don't have an answer for anybody yet on this one. And I guess you listen, I can understand it. And I guess it does make some sense, doesn't it? Like, I mean, the bottom line is, is why come out and say something that could potentially paint yourself in a corner if you just don't have the certainties yet? And it's clear that the NHL does not. They are going to, at some point in time, the Players Association and the NHL are going to have to engage, I think, in further negotiations on how the financial structure of a season is going to look at if, these, if, if it's determined that an 82-game schedule is not in the cards. Yeah, it feels like sports as a whole, or at least a lot of them right now, are just in a holding pattern. That certainly applies to the NHL as well. Curbs, we always appreciate the time, man. We look forward to talking with you again next week. All the best to you and the family. Yeah, sounds good, guys. We got we got to get some kind of more sports going because last night I found myself watching Pogo Lusa, like Pogo sticking on the Ocho. So we need some reality here. Now, Curbs, that can be exciting, though, so don't sell it short. Dude, some of the flips they were doing were sick. I mean, but but seriously, I looked it up. One of those pogo sticks is only like three hundred and fifty bucks, and it can get you ten feet in the air. <laughs> only Curbs, the we gift have, that gives back. We we have very different concepts yeah. of what only <laughs> such amount of money is. <laughs> Listen, what, what else? What else is going to get you ten feet in the air for three hundred and fifty bucks that you can legally use? I mean, <laughs> right? I'm, not, I'm yeah. glad you put that disclaimer. Well, there, in there was something that was uh, voted on in Oregon last night that I think might be able to get you there in New Jersey too. Curbs, always appreciate the time, my man. We'll talk with you soon. All right, guys. Have a good week. You got it. That is Chris Kerber joining us here on 101 ESPN. Did you see that, by the way? Oregon voted to decriminalize mushrooms. Oh, was it the mushrooms? I thought it was the weed. <laughs> it was basically everything. Weed is essentially decriminalized everywhere well, New now. New Jersey voted it in last night, and I was like, you know, they got Hoboken, New Jersey. They should be have Ho-Smoking, New Jersey now. Cross things over with the fast line coming up next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN.
Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie crossing things over with BT Fastlane coming up next. BT, what's going on, man? Nothing. Nothing. You know, uh, I, I like coming in here and hanging out with you guys just just in general. We but, like having but, you. Thank you very much. Yes. I appreciate that. Uh, my favorite thing, though, is when I get in here and I log into the computer and I get into the text line. Because I'm always interested to see what you guys have been talking about. <laughs> the first text uh, that I see right here from the 314 to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 is, Marijuana is still illegal in Missouri without a prescription from a cop. Yeah. Is... Uh, uh, the text. Thank you for uh, protecting and serving. What have you guys been talking about? So, uh, we brought up <laughs> we brought up Oregon decriminalizing small amounts of heroin and cocaine, along with you what? know. Wait, wait, what? I, I'm reading this straight I from the it was New York just Times. Mushrooms. When did and we talk mushrooms about mushrooms? Were also decriminalized. Okay. If you've ever seen The Wire, there's a place on it called, I'm not giving anything away, there's a place called Hamsterdam that they create where all drugs oh. are basically legal. Hoe smoking is unacceptable, but Hamsterdam is? Ooh. What? Is that a new one? <laughs> That's, That's a, a new, new one. one. That's a new mm. one. Ooh. <laughs> so, <laughs> Oregon is just following in the footsteps of Hamsterdam, basically. Wow. All right. Well, you know what? It's uh, small amounts. It's very small amounts. What is amounts. a small amount? What is like, a personal amount? Like, how do you how do you define that? Do I, can, don't you die from a small amount of heroin, potentially? <laughs> like, like, isn't it a personal amount of heroin enough to OD? Like, I don't know. I don't, I don't I guess know it enough depends, about right? drugs. Like, but how many beers do you, does it take to get a buzz? Well, that's, Is it's it all the relative. same with heroin? No, you're right. You're absolutely right. I don't know. I, I don't really get want a to bad find out, batch but... of beer, though. It's like, oh, what was in that Bud Light? It's a skunky like, beer. Yeah, what is that? I get the poops for a little yeah, bit, but that's about that's all. That's it. That is it. If it's legalized and Real it's quick. distributed, you would imagine that, you know, there's less of that concern. Oh, sure. All right. Hey, what was that for? What was that? Uh, <laughs> Which one? The, this one. Ooh. Yeah, what I was don't that even remember anymore. It was, yeah, it was a tinfoil Ferrari of Nelson Cruz wishing David Freeze a happy birthday. That's right. Ooh. That's what it was. We were tying it all together like, oh, it's some big like conspiracy thing. And BK was really into that Ooh. one. Nelson Cruz coming to St. Louis. Confirmed. Okay. <laughs> that's that's good. So you one did also get confirmation that there will be a DH next but year in the NFL. That's correct. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because well, we've, we've seen not the catch. <laughs> yeah. We've seen not Yeah. All right. I like that. Look, at this point, I think that people... Piecing anything that we can possibly piece together just to let down the fan base inevitably at the end. I think that's fine. Hey, listen, I know that hey. we got like six weeks until anything happens on the free agent market, but right. I got a show to do today, BT. Mm-hmm. Like, like, here's the thing. Pretty much every single fan base is going to do the same thing. Like, like, do you guys have like a lean on a, a guy that you think will sign first, like a top free agent that will roll first? Because I feel like everybody is going to still wait for the other guy to set some sort of a market. Who do the Mets want because that's the guy Bauer. I hope that the Mets, the Mets are going to just Mets take whoever they now. want. Actually, I hope. I hope they do. I the Mets have been so abysmal now for like so long. They've had talent, but they've never had the ownership to get them over the top. Now with Cohen taking over, I, I know that speculation is they're going to sign every free agent. Yeah. Probably not going to be the truth. I don't they'll know who they're going to go after, but that would be my bet. I was kicking around uh, yesterday with uh, with Ronge the idea of them actually being the ones that make the trade for Lindor and keep oh. him. Oh, yeah. And, and spend the that. money and keep them. You talking yeah. about a start? Ooh. I almost did it. <laughs> it's like saying to people you're the best at the end of interviews. Now I just I have to stop myself. All we need <laughs> is just BK to get one of the, uh, ah, 
<laughs> and I'm going to have gold. Oh, it's coming. Don't worry. Yeah, I, I'll tell you, if, if you guys haven't done a segment out of this yet, I mean, you're, you're, me, you're well, missing Well, Ryder made boat. a song for us on all oh, of yeah. this stuff. So he had a mm, bop. I didn't hear that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know what? All right. We don't have time. No, BT, what's coming up today on the Fast Lane, my well, man? Nothing as good as a song uh, <laughs> of you making noises. Broadcasting live from the Car Show Studios, it's Ritz and BK. It's Ribs and BK. No, I needed that. We got all kinds of great stuff coming up in the fast line. Thank you. That's coming up from 2 to 6. We'll be back tomorrow at 11. Uh, Jamie is taking a shift off tomorrow. He'll be back on Friday. Ferrario's off on Friday. I'll be here all along. I know that's exactly what you wanted to hear. Fast lane coming up next. Mmm. You have been listening to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN.